you're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for the Nice Guys. I'm Tom Chick. Speaking of nice guys, I'm here with Christian McCroskey. Hey, you should know my name is Buddy. <laughs> and with our Nice Guys tagline or two or maybe three, Kelly Wand. It's like the Goonies, but with a fat kid. <laughs> I don't quite understand that one. No, not really. What? You shouldn't talk about John Goodman that way. <sighs> Wait, did John Goodman play Chunk? Because that actually makes sense to me. That time frame almost works. Because he's like in his 50s. In the... You have yeah. one that I might understand, Kelly Wan. Another tagline. Finally, a Shane Black movie about a murdered prostitute. <laughs> 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 that's the winner, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, are you going to quit with there? Or I, I kind of feel like that's going to be a tough one to top. Do you have like a runner-up? or? <laughs> it's a meat shoot. Right, that's a little too. Yeah. It's a little too shoot. Too cutesy. That's kind Wrong of like, order. So, Kelly Wan, that's like a, a tagline that Shane Black himself might write. And you can take that as you will. Mm. Well, I try to give a, a spread and not necessarily three lasers. Sure. Sure. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, well, I want. I, I I've been curious about something all week, and that is a, about whether you, Kelly Wan, or you, Dingus, would win if I read this synopsis and decide and, and and sort of tried to figure out which one of you would guess what the movie is first. Now, I am going to guess. I think it's going to be Kelly Wan. You're get you're guessing the movie's called that. I'm thinking that you're going to win this synopsis contest, Kelly Wan. Oh, okay. Uh, Dingus might pull it out of a hat, but let's find out. I'm going to read the uh, synopsis from IMDb. Whichever one of you recognizes the movie first wins. Are you guys ready for this? Mm-hmm. All right. Dingus, are you ready? Yes, I am. You're, you're kind of at a disadvantage because I'm guessing it's more like in Kelly Wan's uh, wheelhouse. So I'm really dumb right now. Okay, good. That'll, that'll help Dingus. All right. Here yeah, we go. it's going to help Dingus. Here we go. Not so much. 100 years ago... Dracula survives the attack of Dr. Van Helsing and his men to his castle with a magical amulet. In the present days, Dracula travels to the United States and arrives in a small town. In the town, a man claims that he's the werewolf and goes to the local police station to be asked to be locked up in a cell. Meanwhile, a mummy vanishes from the local museum, and police detective Dell is assigned to investigate the case. When his son, Sean, learns the news, he joins his friends, Patrick, Horace, and Rudy, to read a Van Helsing's journal that was given by his mother. However, the book is written in German, and they're not able to translate it, so they asks for help from their weird neighbor that they call Scary German Guy. And they discover that they need to recover the amulet and a virgin to get rid of Dracula and the monsters. Meanwhile, Sean's little sister, Phoebe, befriends Frankenstein's creature. The unlike group brings Patrick's sister, who claims that is virgin, to read the passage that sends the monsters to the limbo. Will they be successful in their intent? Interesting. No guesses. Uh, Is it – oh, God. Uh, Is it Monster Squad? Dingus is the winner. It is one of Shane Black's early scripts. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, Monster Presumably concurrent with Lethal Weapon, 1987 movie. Directed by Fred Decker, who's done a bunch of crappy movies like this. I've never seen it. 
Um, Me neither. I thought I, it was going to be watched, have Transylvania in the title. That's the thing. I watched a, a ton of his stuff this week. Oh, thing is, you uh, missed uh, his the seminal Monster Squad, seminal Shane Black work. Monster but Squad. He's not a monster, is he? What the I got a really you? nice surprise, though, but I'll save that for later. All right. Well, as a winner, <laughs> Dingus, you can you can come in whenever you like. You you are the victor this week. Congratulations, <laughs> Dingus. We have this medal for you. Yeah, I like. I it. love when someone says they have a surprise, but they don't tell you what it is. All right, the surprise is not. that um, "Long Kiss Goodnight" turns out to be uh, better than I thought. I better than I remember it. When is "Long Kiss Goodnight"? <laughs> That's a surprise. Yeah, I didn't like the "Long Kiss Goodnight" when I first saw it. That's the I um, it was kind of good. Rennie Harlan movie with Gina Davis. Yeah, Gina Davis. Jack. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Of course, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the gender, uh, the gender dynamic in that is amazing. Um, it's you know, it's it's pretty hamily directed, uh, but I was really surprised. I, I was surprised. I remember not liking it when I first saw it, and I don't know if that was '96. I don't remember what, what when it came out, um, but I I liked watching it again this week. It was it was she, kind of a pleasurable experience. Shane Black write that? Yeah. Ew. Oh. He didn't dir- did he direct it though? No, no, Rennie. No, it was Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan. Right. I think that's how they got how he and Gina Davis got together. Actually, well, before we get into Shane Black's body of work, we don't want to spoil anything about this week's movie. So, yeah. Dingus, why don't you give the listeners the basics, spoiler free, of the movie that we saw this week? All right, this week we saw The Nice Guys, mm. a 2016 American action comedy crime movie about how the Misty Mountains came to be polluted. It was directed by Shane Black and written by him and Anthony Bagarosi. It stars Ryan Gosling, <sighs> Russell Crowe. Mm. All right, put those away for the next one, please. And Gory Rice, Matt Bomer, mm. Keith David. Ooh. The Nice Guys is rated R. Oh, yeah. For Ooh. violence, sexuality, Nudity, mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. and brief drug use. I guess that would cover the smoking. Okay, I'm all right with that. Kelly Wan, do you feel that there's anything that got left off of that MPAA rating? Uh, some children. <laughs> mild blue face. <laughs> and a happy ending. Very good. Uh, uh, nice Guys is at 70 on Metacritic. Hmm. However, on Rotten really? Tomatoes, 90% of the reviews of Nice Guys are positive. Oh. Hmm. It had an 11, million, uh, an 11 million dollar opening, uh, but it was number four on its opening weekend, behind the opening weekends for Angry Birds uh, and Neighbors 2, and it was also behind Captain America Civil War's third weekend. Uh, so uh, that said, Kelly Wan, Ugh. why don't you now spoil for all the listeners? The events of the nice guys. So if you're listening and you haven't seen it and you don't want anything ruined for you, Kelly Wan is now going to ruin that by giving us the nice gopsis. Was I close? I tried. Yeah, that's all I – that's about what I had. Okay. Uh, So Kelly Wan, give us now the nice gopsis. Rock and roll. It's like a Republican kind of thing. What's a Republican? Oh, oh, GOP. Very good, right. They're the cop. (laughs) Gosling's voiceover is all. Try and remember what I say since there'll be a callback at the end. (laughs) I thought your Gosling might resemble a Scoot McNary, but I see that it has its own quality to it. I'm already digging it. It's his gangster squad, (laughs) (laughs) which is the only Gosling I know how to do. 
Some words and numbers are all. Shane Black's Los Angeles, 1977. A kid steals a magazine about auto shows from under his mom's bed. He opens it to a picture of a woman with a staple in her navel. Her name's handwritten unobtrusively over her face. Mordor. (laughs) That's her porn name. He starts to wolf whistle at her penmanship. Her car crashes through his house and somehow lands upside down in some woods. Fortunately, this unholy clamor doesn't wake anyone else in the house or neighborhood. Understandably smirking, he goes outside, peeks into the car, and sees her naked body in the driver's seat, still with a staple in her navel, but this time from a murderer's staple gun. She's all, something cryptic. Her head slumps a little to convey that she's lost interest. The kid hears approaching police sirens, checks his watch, and unzips. Then he's all, wait, this isn't right, and handwrites her name on her face. That does the trick. Some words are all the nice gopsis. Russell Crowe's fat and wearing denim, just like in Gladiator. He listens to a man improve his intercourse with an underage girl by reminding her repeatedly of their age difference. Then he knocks on the door and punches the guy in the face. He tries to make clear related to the statutory rape. Russell Crowe just leisurely listened to him commit, then heads down the street and accepts the ten pennies the underage girl places one by one into his waiting palm. She's all, thanks for getting me laid, mister. She drives off. He sighs and watches kids watch an educational film about towels through a classroom's open window. His voiceovers all, kids these days talk too much. As a kid in the movie unveils a Scottish flag, a wacky guy's voice is all, and Jimmy has a blind towel. All the kids laugh hysterically. Russell Crowe shakes his chins dolorously at what's become of society's youth since his day. The 1960s. Gosling's voiceovers all. I think I'm a traveling lawyer in this, and the first rule of travel is never listen to your client. An old woman points at an urn that says Fred on it. She's all, my husband's been missing ever since his funeral, but for some reason I keep wanting to have sex with that. Gosling's all, that'll be $10. He trips something. Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll concede that. As the camera freeze frames an extreme close-up on his mustache, his voiceovers all, there is no second rule, but the third rule is always say something ironic when you're talking to yourself. It's a Shane Black movie set in L.A. A piano lands on the old woman. The penis leans into view from the proverbial hole in the ceiling and goes, Damn, I just made my last payment. Russell Crowe wakes up and studies his calendar's word for the day, circumference. His voiceovers all... Midsection wise, Russell Crowe has considerable circumference. He flashes back to him and his sister at a restaurant one time. She's all, I'm fucking your fish. He does a spit take in her face. She's all, that's what they said. Russell Crowe takes 40 bucks from a brunette porn star named Anoma Lisa, who's on the lam, to go punch someone who's trying to find her. Since Gosling's also in the movie, Crowe assumes it's him and goes to his house (laughs) to break his wrist, which goes successfully. On his way out, he accepts a yoo-hoo from Gosling's daughter, Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) He's all, I haven't noticed chocolate milk in 30 years. Somehow he finds a carton of them and takes them to his home, a broom closet above a bowling alley, only for David Keith and Lex Luthor to break them all since they're convinced he's Gosling or the porno actress. He tricks Luthor by making his face blue, then tricks David Keith by running away. 
You know which one's which, right? Because you guys know actors' names. Okay, good. I don't have to slow down my momentum. He goes to a different bowling alley where Gosling and Reese Witherspoon are playing dodgeball with her friends. Crow sits, get it? Crow sits Gosling down and goes, Roy, I'll give you a tenth your fee if you help me find the girl I broke your wrist for looking for yesterday. Finding people may be my specialty, and you've only shown yourself to be incompetent so far, but I think we'd make a droll team. Gosling's all, yeah, make it a 20th. He trips over something and accidentally shoots a hole in a bowling ball an old man's about to drill three holes into. The old man scowls at Gosling and goes, great, now I have to go home early. Reese Witherspoon's all, (laughs) you broke my dad's wrist. Would you like to move in with us? Crow's all, kid, I've seen it all. She's all, can you beat up my friend Tammy? She's so tall that it's annoying. Crow's all, I only take cash up front, but nothing. They agree to split the difference and decide to drive around together till the script calls for a clue. They drive to City Hall and make fun of some kids who are lying on the front steps to protest breathing. Gosling's all, okay, I solved the case, bye. Crow looks at the kids and goes, MacGuffin? No one answers. After ten variations on this, one of the kids says he's a projectionalist and offers to ride in the back seat with them to the next scene. (laughs) They drive to a burned-down house. The kid's all, cool, I solved the case, man, so long. He stands there and does nothing. The funny kid from Iron Man 3 rides a bicycle on screen. He's all, who wants to see my dick? Gosling agrees, gives him $20, and the kid tells them he wrote the words, my dick, somewhere in the city. He rides off. (laughs) Suddenly, a billboard's off screen. Gosling's all, hey, look, a billboard. Hmm, auto porn movie produced by the kid from Iron Man 3's dick. Looks like it's time for us to show up uninvited at a mermaid party. When they tell Gosling's 10-year-old daughter that they're going to the Playboy Mansion to interrogate... (laughs) Interrogate people... (laughs) Naturally, she wants to come along, but worried about the cock-blocking factor, they put her in the trunk instead. The second they get there, they hear a nearby extra tell her friend, I told him if he wanted me to do that to him, he'd have to shave an artichoke first. Crow's all, Roy, let's separate and look for clues. He wanders off while Gosling gets drunk and swims inconclusively after some bottomless mermaids and Reese Witherspoon watches a porno movie with her usual plucky expression. Pretend I read that right. Gosling finds a balcony, walks up to a girl who's been tarred and feathered, and goes, Hey, check this out. He trips off the roof and tumbles down a cliff. She goes, Meh, I get that 40 times a day, and wanders off. Gosling's all, Oh, well, at least my daughter thinks I'm not clumsy. He ignites his lighter, which makes him somehow see a dead body behind him. He screams Crow's name till Crow walks on screen and stares at us, then him. Crow's all, what? Gosling's all, look, it's the guy whose name was on the billboard the kid with the dick told us about at the house that burned down the air protester led us to. Sir, we need to ask you some questions about a car porno. Crow's all, I think he's dead, Gosling. Look, he's got no head, plus his colon stuck to your eye there. How'd that happen? You trip again? Gosling's all, sorry, I have no sense of smell. Suddenly, a blue man kidnaps Reese Witherspoon and Allison Brie and takes off. A valet walks up to Gosling and goes, Hey, guy I've never seen before? That girl I saw you talking to earlier was in that car that just drove away. Hope that's helpful. Crow's all, thanks, asshole. The valet's all, how'd you know my name was asshole? Gosling's all, you know who else just drove away from here? Adolf Hitler. My German audience laughs nostalgically. 
Gosling and Crow pull out guns, shoot the valet, and chase after the kidnappers using various forms of transportation poorly. Meanwhile, the comically sinister blue person stands in the middle of the street, pulls out a gun, cackles psychotically, and goes, Time to shoot you, kids. A pickup truck shows up and plasters him, then breaks. The off-screen driver gets out and goes, Hey, did you see how I hit that pedestrian? Suddenly, he sees two scantily clad, beautiful teenage girls rushing towards him to shower him with their gratitude. He goes, oh, shit, gets in his truck and drives off, backing up over the blue-faced guy again. Crow walks up to the blue-faced guy, sticks a gun in his mouth, and goes, now to get some of that blue off ya. Reese Witherspoon's all. Russell, stop. This poor man's been through enough tonight, being surrounded by topless mermaids all evening, kidnapping me, and now he can't stop cackling and vowing revenge. It's a miracle he's even plausible. Now promise me you'll give him a massage and some happy thoughts while I go stand in the middle of the freeway down there and scream at oncoming traffic till one of them's an ambulance. Crow's all, yes. She's all, see, you're a good person. I knew I could trust you ever since you broke my dad's wrist. She turns to leave. There's a gunshot. Slowly, she turns around. Crow has the guy's blood and brain all over himself, the gun in his hand smoking, and he's holding the guy's heart in his fist with which he's about to guiltily eat. Witherspoon shakes her head affectionately. Oh, Russell. Gosling eventually drives up, hugs the nearest tree, and goes, Thank God I'm okay, honey. To prove it, he trips over something. Since going to the cops at this point seems the inevitable next step, they adopt the brunette porn star and do nothing. As they tuck her into Crow's bed for the night, she says nothing's happened to me because her mom's the head of NASA. Witherspoon's all. Looks like I know where our next destination is and shit. Gosling's all. Honey, you know my arbitrary grammar rules. Just say and shit by itself. She tries a few times. Like in Zootopia, the zanily mismatched investigators go to City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a clue there they ask to see the files on all missing persons cases related to auto shows Kim Basinger's black chicks all sorry wish I could help you gentlemen and draws a gun on them crows all guess this was a dead end let's go they walk outside and sit on a bench in a bus station to look for more clues Kim Basinger walks on screen and sits in crow's lap she's all oh sorry I thought you were goshling by the way I'm the head of NASA and the brunette character's mom. I'm also the DP for the auto show porno and a couple other things. My only other scene in the movie is interchangeable with this one. Gosling's all, well, well. And they say female roles are less and shame black movies. Nag, nag, nag. Now what a little exposition cost me. He opens his wallet and shows her a tiny $10 bill that's made out of shirts. He makes it dance annoyingly. Eventually, he's all, I'm offering this to you in exchange for information, by the way. She's all, well, I'm already rich, but I enjoyed your dancing shirt there, so I hereby confess that I really miss my daughter. My life seems so meaningless without someone younger to control. Gosling's all, we're keeping her at my place to shake it down for answers about an auto show porno and a hitman from the Waltons. Crow kicks his foot. Gosling's all, I mean something else. Basinger's all. Speaking of which, this movie takes place in 1977, a momentous year in the movie world. It marked the now historic rise of a young starlet who would be immortalized for several years for her portrayal of a feisty and female science fiction character with a hairstyle that would become a model for young ladies in World War I pilots everywhere. There was even talk in some quarters of Ronald Reagan making me an actual princess and putting me in charge of a real space station that could blow up planets like that. She tries to snap her fingers. One of them breaks off. Crows all. None of that's true, but we can promise you nothing bad will happen to your daughter as long as we're sober. 
although it might be a good idea to have a backup child just in case. That night, Ryan Gosling, look, we just drove past a building with the same address on it as that clue we found. Looks like moderately successful detective works all middle name. And you said Hotel Beverly Hills was the name of a Filipina stripper's imaginary friend. It was written on a purple napkin. What? They go into a bar to drink alcohol. <laughs> Gosling smirks at the bartender as Crow grabs the bartender's tie and bashes his head into the bar top. Gosling's all, tell us what we're doing here or he'll stop doing it. The bartender rubs his face sourly and goes, you mean stop banging my head against the bar? Gosling's all, yeah, uh, I think we did it in the wrong order. Hey, let's start over. Crow grabs the bartender's tie and slams his head again. Gosling's all, wait, wait, that's the wrong order again. <laughs> the bartender's all, look, you guys been so cool to me, I'm going to repay you by warning you not to go upstairs. There's Waltons from New York up there murdering people. I should probably call the cops or something. He shrugs. Crow bangs his head against the bar a couple times as a tip. Then they take the elevator up. When the door is open, a dead guy explodes on them. Crow and Gosling decide to go home. In the elevator on the way down, Gosling's all, I know we're dumb, but is my daughter smart? She sure gets catered. <laughs> oh, so long. I mean, awesome. She sure gets caught a lot. Crow shrugs. It's a Shane Black movie. A guy falls past them through the window. Gosling's all, that was someone related to our investigation. Crow nods ironically. He's all, the pieces of the jigsaw are all starting to add up. They go home to find an assassin attacking Gosling's daughter, her friend, and the porn star. It all works out in that the porn star is killed and the assassin gets away. Cradling the porn star's body, Crow's all, damn, I guess we forgot to protect a life. If only we'd known in time that someone was out to kill her. Gosling's all, well, we did. Crow's all, I better call an ambulance. Maybe they know the number for a good morgue. And also the police. Get some professionals on this Walton's trail. Time to cause him a Great Depression. Get it? Witherspoon's all. Don't you dare. That assassin has a heart, too. If you have him arrested, it might hurt his feelings. You're a good person. I knew it the second you broke my dad's wrist. Besides, I have a better idea. She holds up a poster that shows a couple normally dressed women standing near cars along with a yawning announcer. All of it beneath a banner that says, End of the movie auto show happening in five minutes. <laughs> Gosling's all. Time for some thinking man's gunplay. Crow's all. And this time we've learned from our mistakes. They make Witherspoon drive them to the auto show and hand her off to the treacherous black chick while music plays. There's an auto show. Thanks to the heroics of an unnamed hippie guy in a dumpster and Gosling falling onto a couple cars, a porno about air pollution is accidentally shown to a group of mostly off-screen film distributors. <laughs> and David Keith falls into a swimming pool. The Walton's assassin falls unconscious. Crows all, that's what you get for tangling with the nice guys. As Crow pulls out handcuffs to put on him, Reese Witherspoon's all, Don't you dare arrest that man. What if he has trouble finding a job because of his prison record? If you do, I'll never speak to you again. Although, granted, most of my speech will probably consist of henpecking to let psychopaths run amok. Crow thinks back to how empty his life was enjoying life before kids and puts the handcuffs on himself instead. Six months later, Gosling saw, Man, I can't believe a photo about air pollution being accidentally shown to a group of mostly off-screen film distributors carries no legal weight in this country. We proved NASA's causing pornographic air pollution. What do we get out of it? A friggin' detective agency? Some kind of world, I tell ya. Crows all. At least me characters evolved quite a bit since I broke your wrist, and that's more important than any murder. Out in the foyer, the phone rings on Reese Witherspoon's desk. She's all, nice guy's detective agency, 0 for 1 and counting. 
I look over at Danny Glover and go, I think I'm getting too old for this shit. The end. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, did this work for either of you? Because, good lord, it didn't work for me at all. Mm, I like parts of it, mm-hmm. but it feels very dated. It's like, I think it's just too... Um, it's too precious. But there's some funny lines, but a lot of them are in the trailers, which I was, I guess that's on me. So well, yeah, I didn't... Make I didn't that know. complaint, yeah. So, uh, all right, Dingus, did this work for you? Because you, you're um, you're basically our lethal weapon. Apo- Actually, you both are lethal weapon apologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you both have a soft spot for Shane Black that I don't necessarily have. So Dingus, as a guy with a soft spot for Shane Black's lethal weapon movies, did this work for you? No, oh, yeah, it works for me. Very ah, well. okay, well, good. good. Yeah, yeah, I really like this thing, and and I, I think it has less to do with lethal weapon and more to do with other noir movies, um, it, even though it's more comic noir. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm I was pretty pretty jazzed about this thing. Well, let's then talk it at first because I think this is the main obstacle for me enjoying it, and uh, uh, it's it's mainly why I enjoyed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and that is the unconventional pairing of the, the two leads, the casting, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. I never would have guessed. Oh yeah, they'd be a good pair in a, in a buddy movie. And there's this. Uh, unexpected quality to how well they work together and it really brings the movie alive uh this also if you had told me hey we're gonna have a noir comedy with russell crowe and ryan gosling i would have been like well which of the guys is supposed to be the straight guy which is the funny guy that's weird how is that gonna work oh it's shane black in that case i can't wait to see how, how this turns out um but i never felt that the casting worked for me i didn't I, I didn't uh, – I, I just didn't really feel that either of them was connecting with the other. I didn't feel there was much chemistry or interaction. I love, love, love me some fat Russell Crowe, um, and I like Ryan Gosling trying to be funny, uh, and I thought the daughter was a big part of the, the group as well. But none of them really fit together for me, and I think that for me was my main obstacle. So how did that work for you guys? Is The, the casting of, of Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling um, – Dingus, why don't you go first? Uh, what, what did you think of them, and how instrumental was that to you liking this? Um, I really loved it because I love uh, how um, how they are they're having difficulties in different ways. I specifically liked how Ryan Gosling is immediately ineffectual and weaselly, um, you know, immediately giving up as soon as Russell Crowe comes in the room. He's like, "Okay, fine, here. Okay, I'm going to give you my client. Here's my client." Um, and, you know, in punching through that glass, let me just say this, having done the broken glass thing a few weeks ago, um, I love how all of this glass in this movie is non-tempered glass. And when he does that, uh, okay, now I just need to punch through this window and he like totally severs his vein and he's like, oh, there's a lot of blood there. <laughs> um, I, that love how, I love, I love the way the glass looks. I, I think this movie looks gorgeous i think that the attention to detail is incredible um and I, I love like little moments like that and i love that um that ryan gosling's character um just seems to be just a, a complete f up and you know but still like he's got a gun hidden here or he's going to try to get this angle or that angle um and his daughter seems to know all of these things about him i mean she's one of these i i think the the actress does a great job what she's doing but she's one of these way too knowing kids that right. is a little bit yeah a little bit annoying in in the way shane black writes her um but how russell crowe just comes in sort of wearily you know to punch him around 
and and then leaves his brass knuckles one time at home, so he's kind of like effing up too. And um, I, I actually really like the way they 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 very gradually sort of get together to work things out, uh, but not perfectly. And and you know, uh, as opposed to what you just said, Tom, mm-hmm. I I kind of like the way that especially the three of them that you're talking about, uh, the three of them uh, kind of are bumping off of each other somewhat because she's especially, she's ashamed of her dad, but she, she knows that he has to succeed if she's going to be able to get through in life. So she has to kind of lead him through. Uh, and this whole, is he a good man? Is he not a good man thing? Um, I actually kind of liked the, the un, um, the unresolved chemistry that develops between the three of them. Mm-hmm. So Kelly Wand, uh, how well do these leads work, work for you? These two guys. Um, I think they're both funny. Like there's nothing they're doing wrong. I think the daughter, I didn't like the daughter. I thought she kind of ruined the movie. And then, um, she gives it a lot of earnestness that I'm not, I kind of feel as in a, it's not really trying. For. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to give this movie this, this authentic, precocious adult heart in this kid. Like, yeah, yeah, and I don't really felt out of place for me. Yeah. And that, and it's like that wasn't when my over is kiss, kiss, bang, bang because it didn't have that. It, it didn't have that element of right. the kid. And I think that's one of the reasons Kiss Kiss being made worse is kind of lets you focus on the best. The well, good I part. seem to recall you also objected, and I don't think Dingus and I had this problem with the the, the relationship with the kid in Iron Man three. Um, is that a correct recollection? Like Which, by, thought- by the way, Ty Simpkins isn't the dick kid in this movie, Kelly. Oh, he's not? No. <laughs> he's the kid in the beginning. And the kid from Jurassic oh, World. Oh. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But, um... Go ahead. I just had to say that. What was your question that I did or didn't like the kid in Iron Man 3? Because I did oh, like you also, him. because I, 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 I agree with you that I thought the daughter kind of felt out of place here. But I thought Shane Black, and I don't know if maybe it was... Partly how the kid was written, partly how it was how Robert Downey Jr. interacted with him. I really liked what Shane Black did with the kid in the Iron Man 3 script. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. That. But I yeah. seem to recall, and I could be misremembering, didn't you also think that the kid in the Iron Man 3 script was also a little bit too earnest and redemptive? And No, not okay. really. Okay, he was kind okay. of funny. Yeah, he was funny, and he was, he was also like – he. They had some really good exchanges, and it, yeah. he wasn't like your normal. And he was in a comic book movie, so you go, "Oh, he's the kid in a comic." Book. This is going to be the most annoying character ever. And he kind of wasn't. It was like a challenge that he that they sort of subverted. Right. But but do you um, remember the weight given to the daughter? I mean, to Michelle. It's Michelle Monaghan, right? Um, in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, in the flashbacks. Yeah. She's a, it's a love oh, you mean Dingus? What'd you say? As a love interest, you mean? Yeah, when but she's, she's also. Go ahead. Sorry. That's she's also though. an abused child running off to L.A. I mean, th- that's part of what's going on there. But there's that in that right there, thing. It's like there's this sort of darkness to it. I mean, there, there's, right. there's an edge to it that I think fits in a noir. This precocious, you know, adult in a kid's body thing who is way wiser than her dad. That to me doesn't. I mean, that seems like something true. It's like a John Hughes movie kind of trope in a way. Well, she has. Yeah, to be, nothing. She has to be the grown up in the household because the right. mom's not there. Which is a very John. Yeah, I- yeah, I get it, right. I mean, I get it. I just felt like it, it felt out of place with this kind of neo-noir story. It's uh, too cute. And also, um, there's way too much redemption at the end of this fucking movie. Like, the blood on the doorknob, like, that. That I love that character. And I love that he's out. It, I guess it's just like Iron Man. It's like when, when they get sober, I kind of lose interest in them. <laughs> and um, at the end, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's way, this is far too redemptive a story for my taste, maybe. 
which kind of is is uh, Shane Black. Is it a Shane Black thing? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess the good guys do win in the end usually. And lethal weapon. He doesn't stay suicidal. Right. 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 Um, Because normally a noir story, and I don't know about normally, and this is as Dingus mentioned, it's comic noir. I mean, you don't. It doesn't necessarily have to adhere to the principles of noir, but. Normally, uh, it doesn't always end well for the detective in a noir story. And this, right, yeah. it seemed to have a very much, uh, very much be in line with wanting to have a happy ending. And and I guess the the supposed noir dark ending is this idea that Detroit has prevailed, uh, which is kind of what I, I was hoping this would be developed more. And it just felt a little stilted and well, convoluted. Well, convoluted is okay, by the way. I'm I'm sure I'm okay with convoluted in a detective story, and I kind of expect that. Uh, I expect to be lost and then caught up along the way. And I think what you're supposed to come away with at the end of this, the resolution, is that ultimately it's a, a movie and a plot. Because in noir, there's always the bigger plot in the background that the detective reveals. The bigger plot is, of course, the automotive industry and how it how right. it impacts LA with with smog and with the gas lines and with with car design and how Detroit. Which we know will end up crumbling um, is a, is a big priority for the villain. Like she's just acting on behalf of Detroit. So this whole idea that that the bigger plot in the background is the automotive industry um, and it's going to fail anyway. Like I guess that's supposed to be the dark ending. Yeah. Well, he's yes. me- he's messing around both with, if you'll excuse me, uh, Roger Rabbit and Chinatown. I mean, he's well. He those are. Around- I mean, yeah. I mean, those are those are both fixtures of noir, and I, I don't know. Uh, about messing around. I mean, Roger Rabbit is definitely like a riff on, on noir. Um, but it any, is, and it's it's got that whole car thing going on. Yeah, and, it's about the, the freeways, right? The, the right. Destroying the tram for the sake of the freeway. But this is specifically about you know Detroit, about the catalytic converter and what it does to the auto industry. Right. Uh, and I like that idea, but you know, it, it I don't know about contrived or forced. It just didn't really feel like. It kind of just felt like mandatory, like Shane Black saying, "Okay, we've got to give this a larger political scope in the background. I'll bring that out little bits and pieces." But it didn't feel as integral as something like the tram plot in Roger Rabbit or the water distribution in, in Chinatown. Uh, I didn't feel like any of the characters really cared about it, or that the reveal was anything significant. I, maybe just, there's no thematic connection to their characters either. Right. Like, oh, they're part of a declining type of society. Like that's right. not that, it's not that kind of movie. Yeah, uh, like the thematic connection with uh, with Jack Nicholson, and he works Chinatown, right. and all, right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess partly is with with me not really feeling the leads worked, and with me not really feeling that it was that good of a noir story. Uh, at least it didn't; those things didn't work for me. Yeah, that was just a big obstacle for me. And even though I loved bits, Stingus, I'm glad that you mentioned that breaking into the the house bit because that was hilarious. That was that's great. Exactly, that's exactly the kind of subverted expectation stuff that I love when Shane Black mm-hmm. plays with it. Um, uh, and I, and the, the bathroom stall scene, you know, Ryan Gosling <laughs> being funny, that was hilarious. Like, that was one of yeah. those scenes, just watching that self-contained. If that had been in the trailer, by the way, I would have been convinced, yeah, this movie's going to be golden. Uh, that was hilarious. It is in the trailer. Well, there you go, yeah. Um, but then for everything like that, there would be something weird, like, like, like when Ryan Gosling finds the corpse... And he does this weird curly from Three Stooges wheezing thing, like he can't mm-hmm. talk. That just felt uncomfortable, and like somebody told him to do it, and he tried it, and it didn't work, and they used it anyway. There just yeah. were a lot of things like that that dated. I, I think you're actually spot on with that because I think Shane Black has this weird boner for the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's constantly going on in the in the movie The Lethal Weapon. 
Mel Gibson's talking oh about it. Oh my god, he's, yeah. He's <laughs> Does aging he do it. do a curly, like a, a, a crazy, like, curly impression at some point? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah in, the, in the early drug Christmas tree um, lot. Yeah. You know, eeny, meeny, me. Hey, Mo! And then he pokes Oh my him god, you're right. Yeah, good catch yeah. things, yeah. Yeah, so so he definitely, and he's watching the that show when yeah. when he's in his trailer. So yeah, I think Shane Black's got a thing for that. So you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think he probably just did this, like, hey, let's try that, and then his actor trusted him and said, okay, I'll try that, right. and then he kept it, which was probably not advisable. Uh, I, go, go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. Well, just like I, I mean, in Lethal Weapon, I I didn't mind that because I go, oh, it's just Mel Gibson's character's thing. But now that I know that it's a Shane Black thing, it seems a little, I don't know. For me, even, it was just Ryan Gosling suddenly being the wheezy guy who can't get it out because he's so freaked out by a corpse. Just was like, really? Where did this come from? You know, why, yeah. uh, you know, I get that he's kind of... And that's the guy he's starting a detective agency with. At the right. I think he's trying to marry Pratt Falls, and I, and I, yeah, yeah. I think he has a certain, you know, success with it when, like, when that... When that, when what's her name lands on the roof of the car in this weird sort of, you know, fifty foot woman pose, uh, like where did she come from? She just landed on the roof of the car. I think he does these pratfall weird things, um, and I don't know that they necessarily marry perfectly with this particular movie. But I certainly didn't mind when he like fell off the deck. But the thing that Tom is talking about was a little bit yeah. weird. And it does rely a lot on, and this is a very Shane Blackie thing too. Just this the. The sheer random coincidence of something, and I'm reminded mm-hmm. – I don't remember the specifics of it, but there's a bit in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where he talks about like a guy in a robot costume, and you don't know what he's talking about, and it makes no sense. And it ends up being this, this sort of goofy coincidence that ties a couple of plot elements together, and I remember that working in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Here he leans on oh, it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He leans on it a couple of times, a little too heavily, like the idea of Ty Simpkins getting the porn magazine and then that porn actress – driving her car through the house or yeah. later literally the girl they're landing on they're looking for landing on top of their car like i, I don't it, it's sort of like okay i've written myself into a corner i don't know how to fix things so i'm just going to drop something out of the sky uh, uh and and that just feels i don't know about lazy but because who knows how hard he worked on it but i think that's the joke that he's going for you know going on going off of what kelly made a joke about in his opsis about oh we just saw that on a billboard right 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 exactly yeah um there's a lot of that. And they it, happen to be driving by, and then they're like, "Oh, there it is. There's the thing." And then you see it. But but for like a, a like a, a hapless detective solving a crime because clues fall into his lap and he doesn't figure anything out, uh, I, I guess I didn't always feel that that's what they were doing. I mean, they were trying to do like, for instance, I'm not sure what to make of this bit. So Ryan Gosling figures out the clue with the little note on the pink cow pad that Russell Crowe has found, right? He's like, that's not a flight. Um, and he figures out the clue, and they're going to go drive and investigate the clue as Ryan Gosling has parsed it. But then they get there, and they realize, oh, he was wrong. Right, he's an idiot, after he, all. He's an idiot, right. But then it they turns see it. out... Yeah, yeah, so so are we making a story... Yeah, yeah, is this a story are about Are they smart how, or dumb? Well, are they smart or dumb? Do coincidences resolve it, or do does detective... Or, I guess I was unclear about what to make of them, and how much coincidence was in this universe solving the crime for them. Like, oh, that's the place. Like, I'm supposed to care at that point? Or is he making fun of me and them? Well, I think he's, in a way, making fun of Hollywood. 
or yeah, movies. That's why this is in L.A. Because, you know, people stumble upon the right thing to do and nobody knows why sometimes. Um, and I think that's kind of what he's doing. And he's playing around with that as far as noir, like a noir comic crime thriller is concerned. I got the sense that the only reason it was in Hollywood was because of – because it wasn't a show businessy Hollywood, right? Like there was this idea of a – the, the porno industry, but that, you know, yeah. that, uh, but there was nothing really about Hollywood per se, not like a Hail Caesar, for, for instance. Uh, but it Crazy was in LA. Bang Bang, where he's coming out here to get a movie. Exactly. Role. Exactly. Right, Dingus, yeah. Uh, whereas here it was, it was LA simply because we had smog back in the 70s, because the, the impact on the environment of having so many vehicles. Uh, so it didn't seem like a, a movie about Hollywood as a movie making place. It felt like a movie about Hollywood. Not even Hollywood, L.A. as a place where people have to drive a lot. Um, well, I, I think it, I think it's a little bit more than that, actually. I think it's it's uh, it's a couple of people, um, Shane Black and Joel Silver, who actually love Hollywood. I mean, not love Hollywood necessarily, but also love L.A. because I think that making it into a period piece the way they did, and so meticulously, um, I think that they're doing that on purpose. And and his movies are out here. Not just because it's convenient, but because I think he actually loves many of those attributes and making it into 1977 Los Angeles and doing it so meticulously. I think there's a reason for that, and it's it's not just it's not just because of those things, but it's also because he actually loves this place in the way that Woody Allen loves Manhattan. Right, but what I'm saying is I don't think you you were saying that you thought that they were they were riffing on. Uh, movie making. I don't feel that this is about oh, L.A. Okay. As, a, as a place where, like Last Action Hero, is very much about L.A. as a place where movies are made. Uh, and there's right. some very clever sort of meta stuff here. This was just about L.A. as a place that's been impacted by people who have to drive a lot. Well, uh, porn's okay. part of the plot in a movie. Right, right, and, and porn, right, exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and a place where like there's CD porn. Is it? It's by the way, it's kind of cute. And and this is one of my favorite things about this being set in the 70s. It's kind of cute to have movies set in a time when porn is so scandalous. <laughs> like yeah, the idea yeah. that this actress appeared naked in a movie would destroy her mother. You know, yeah. <laughs> There's a, That's a very quaint part of the 70s setting that, that, I, that I quite yeah. like. Uh, There's no drugs, though. They don't, no one's doing blow or anything. That's a good or point. Are they? Yeah, like even at that party. It's like pretty the party sanitized. seemed awfully holy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, off, yeah. Uh, yeah, wholesome. That party didn't seem there didn't seem to be a coke room or anything there. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't the boogie nights seventies, was it? Yeah. Was that because the daughter was there? So she's literally weighing the movie down. Uh, yeah. No, because I think you know they wanted to show, hey, she's she's not phased by watching porn. Uh, you know, hey, here's all these porn actresses who she can communicate with them. Um, I mean, I I don't know uh, it. She's watching it without interest because she's really just trying to soften up. The yeah, she's investigating. Or with, yeah. And, and that's another thing. Like, I would have, if, if this movie had more consistently been about how she's solving the crimes, or not solving the crimes, she's parsing the clues and figuring stuff out. She fucks up too, though. Yeah, right, with getting captured and stuff, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she throws cold coffee on the black chick. Like, she would have gotten shot in the face. Right, exactly. And that, that I think Shane Black was playing it for a joke. At the yeah. expense of the idea that, hey, this little girl's really clever. Um, instead of seeing that as a through line with her, he's going to make her do something really dumb because he thinks it's funny. And that kind of bothers right. me. That, yeah, that he's because they were all going to die. Right, the, and he's less concerned, I think, about drawing strong characters than telling Shane Black jokes. Show. 
I, I feel. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a, a lot. And even though some of the jokes work for me, that is something that bothered me. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, again, is it so because someone's smart or is the universe just full of coincidences and conveniences? The woman then slips and hits her head. On, right. the, on, on the floor. Like I, yeah. And, and, and they don't check to see if she's dead or unconscious or get the gun. They're just like, oh, that worked out. And then she, they just – He's alive because he puts her head on a pillow. And she's still head. armed. Right. But but I, you know, maybe that gets to what Dingus was saying before is that it's just Shane Black having a big laugh at, at this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, but there's too many serious parts. Like that's to me the problem. Like the tone goes back and forth kind of because there's just like straightforward exposition too. Like tons of it, and the Kim Basinger character, she's not funny. She doesn't get any funny jokes. Yeah, she's, she's kind of this wandering. Why were you doing her as Princess Leia? By the way, I was very confused by that, Kelly Wand. Uh, because her voice, her voice sounded weird to me. <laughs> okay, I, I thought it was funny to have her in here because of L.A. Confidential. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, like it was almost stunt casting or something. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. It's a reunion. Uh, How did you guys feel about the like? This is one thing that Chris Markinson said that he was really uncomfortable. It was strange to see the sexuality with the kids in the movie. Like you know, you guys are talking about whether or not drugs were used in that scene, and you talked, you touched a little bit on that. But did that make you uncomfortable at all? They don't look young. They never. They're like movie kids, so they're really like eighteen or twenty, but they're playing fifteen or sixteen. But you know, I remember really, you know, getting uh, a little. Freaked out about um, back when we saw Kick-Ass, uh, when uh, Chloe Grace Moritz was in that and just feeling like, oh, my gosh, that young actress is having to do so many things that are so adult. And this uh, this ang- this actress, you know, Angry Rice, is in the in supposed to be in the scene where she's watching a, a porno that's on. And then she's in this weird, crazy party with, you know, naked mermaids swimming by. And, uh, and I just didn't know because Chris singled this out, and I was wondering what you guys thought of it. I actually like that kind of thing. I mean, I, I like when uh, a kid being in a movie doesn't preclude it having sexuality. And I like the idea that she's watching the porno, and as Kelly said, she's uninterested because she's investigating. Uh, I, I thought it was hilarious, the kid on the bike saying, you, you know, you want to see my dick? I have a big dick. Like That, that was funny uh, to me, and inappropriate, absolutely, but also funny. Um, so yeah, it didn't bother me so much as I kind of respected. Yeah, this this is weird, uncomfortable humor. Go with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? Uh, so, what? Uh, the action sequences. It kind of at a few times because Lethal Weapon, very much an action movie. Certainly, Iron Man three had a, a bunch of super exciting kinetic action sequences. Um, did they not budget them for this here, or, or did? Well, actually, because I, I I'll tip my hand. I didn't think there was any good action here. All of it felt just kind of prolonged and not very well choreographed or just prematurely ended, like the car chase with that that Trans Am or whatever that was, uh, the shootout with John Boy at the house, the big party, uh, the, the automotive convention with a random explosion at some point. Like I didn't think any of the action worked here for me. Uh, as I said, I think none of the action worked here for me, and I was a little disappointed because – one of the things I enjoy when I go see a movie with, with a big name like Russell Crowe is, okay, there's going to be a budget here. They can afford to do some big, expensive set pieces. Um, and I felt I, – I, I was disappointed in, in, in the set pieces that I thought we were supposed to get here. No, it's a character piece. Is there any good action in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Or is it just about quips? Well, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, though, doesn't have – because you, you know the, it seems like there's a big old shootout. Um, like I, I don't remember if there were supposed to be any bits in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 
that were pretending towards a big action sequence. But there's supposed to be the car – it seems like we're going to get a car chase when Ryan Gosling gets in that Trans Am to rescue his daughter. Uh, when John Boy shows up at the house and they have a shootout, that goes on for a while, and a tree falls on a house. Uh, there's an automotive – you know, that automotive convention where a car explodes and people fall off of a ceiling. And uh, I felt like those were, were really th- – there's potential there for really big action set pieces. Uh, and I don't recall Kiss Kiss Bang Bang ever leaning think- towards that. I don't really care about scope as much in my action set pieces, or I don't need it as long as, like, the legit, like, there's something interesting about the logistics of it. Like, you can just okay. have two people on a highway and a gun, and you can make a totally great action sequence out of that. <laughs> sure. And I think it's, that that's more, I think Shane Black is more interested in what's going on with the characters than he is in the action. Because, I mean, right. in, Lethal Weapon was directed by Richard Donner, so it's, it's, it's his script, it's Shane Black's script, but it, it's not him handling action. And I think that even doing it as well as he did in Iron Man 3, I, I think ultimately he's not really very interested in doing that as a director. But having – it's like even by that standard of like you don't need like a bunch of money on, on the screen, it, the action still sucks in this because it's like a lot of the pivotal – the pivotal plot points all come about sort of coincidentally, just like everything else too. Like the John boy or no, not John boy, the blue face guy gets hit by a car that just shows up out of nowhere. Right. Right. And he like Gosling just happens to be holding the film after it rolls around a bunch of like, uh, one of those movies where everyone's trying to get like a jewel. Or, yeah. Like, like the something. Indiana Jones opening with the, the <laughs> yeah. antidote. Right. The temple exactly. of Doom, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then by chance, the protagonist is the nearest to it at the end of it all. And it's like, yeah, I did it. It's like, all right, and I felt great. all this stuff was written into the script, but just not directed into the movie. It, yeah. It and it's me. not that fun. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I like this. I don't think that's the point. I mean, I don't necessarily need any that kind of action here any more than I need it during the big sleep. I mean, those are, these are wildly different well, movies, obviously. Right. Dingus, um, but, but like Kelly's talking about that ending with the, the film canister rolling around, like I say, that was clearly, I think written to be something like that temple of doom sequence is there's something that everybody's chasing. It's, it's rolling loose like a marble on the floor. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't feel like Shane black directed that kind of scene. With panache. Uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I don't it's supposed think... to be carefully orchestrated mayhem, but uh, the the part the problem is I am following what's going on, and it's kind of boring. So, so if like, he was just interested in characters, boring. which I, I completely understand, uh, you know, writing a scene in here where they're chasing an errant rolling film canister and kind of not following up with good action, because I know he can do it from Iron Man three, uh, just to me felt like a, a bit of an oversight. Um, yeah, Iron Man three has killer action, doesn't yeah. it? And then again, the shootout with John Boy. I mean, he just stands behind a car with the trunk up, and they just yeah. shoot a lot. And then eventually, a tree falls over. Like, <laughs> I felt like that was written as an action sequence, like in a script. You know, that's supposed to be thrilling and exciting, and oh, is someone going to get shot? And I was just, and maybe it's, it was my expectations, I guess, from Iron Man Three. Um, yeah, am I misremembering how good Iron Man Three was? Like, no, Iron Man Three was great, but I think that these two main characters aren't that adept at action. Yeah, well... Okay. That's kind of the point. They're going to hide behind things. They're going to run out of bullets. He's going to toss the gun out the window, or he's going to miss things, and they're not going to... Well, you say, that dingus, that way. you say that, Dingus, but I loved the resolution of a couple of these sequences. Uh, especially, I loved the gun in the hot tub bit. Like, that, I think, was very well... <laughs> yeah, that was good. And it shows how cool and clever and resourceful, uh, mm-hmm. and lucky, I guess, Russell Crowe was. Right, right, uh, right. I loved that bit, and... I feel that that was a, that's a great resolution to an action scene, but right. all this the that's fighting stuff at the party. Go ahead. All the fighting stuff at the party that led up to that 
just felt like little bits that were shot at different times in different spots and then spliced together. Um, uh, so yeah, like, I, and I also love the bit with uh, David Keith and um, Ryan Gosling falling off the the roof. Ah, did you call him that? Oh shoot! Shut up, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd do it. I knew. But I, I love that too, as well as the resolution for an action sequence. Uh, so there, there were there were great resolutions, but they didn't have the underpinnings I, I think to that they deserved. Um, and 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 I love the idea too of them being hapless and chasing that that rolling film canister around. You can do that and have hapless characters who aren't up to the action sequence, and that's that's part of the fun of that kind of thing. And the Coens are good at that stuff. Exactly, yeah. Definitely. The Coens are good at fuck-ups, and, and it's like the action evolves organically out of their stupidity. Yeah. Um, and they, they're good at spitting all those plates at the same time. But, um, yeah, I did really like that hot tub thing, though. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, like that's because I didn't like see it coming, I, and I'd forgotten about yeah. it the moment it's resolved. I'm like, oh yeah, that was very good, uh, Shane Black. You know, you set this up, you made me forget about it with a bunch of other flashy stuff, and then you had a nice callback, and it rescued a character from a tough situation. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I like chunks of this movie, and I can't. It seemed like every time I was starting to get a groove going on it, something would annoy me about it, or something dumb would happen, and I wouldn't like it as much, <laughs> or the characters wouldn't be dumb all of a sudden. I don't know. I was uh, rooting for it while I was watching it. Like I, I, I was too, by the way. Yeah. And again, I just want to say, I love when a guy like Russell Crowe, who's a leading man, who mm-hmm. takes himself super seriously, who's not like jokey and has never, as far as I know, turned in like a self-deprecating performance. I love when he's just willing to be a fat schlubby guy. Yeah. Uh, wearing glasses. Like I, I loved his character in this, mm-hmm. just as far as this is Russell Crowe playing this guy. And just the girth that he had um, – you know, I just love the fact that he's letting himself go into middle age like that, and he's completely unashamed of it, and he's letting characters be written around it. Um, so I loved that. Totally, yeah, it's totally appropriate for here. And and I, I do – I mean I did, when I was watching this movie, constantly think about John Goodman. And I, it's funny to hear a lot of people making those that same joke over and over again because for some reason he just reminded me of John Goodman for this whole movie. As far as uh, – you, you, you mean – Just like, the way he looks. Okay. Hmm. I mean, not nearly. Yeah, but I mean, definitely as far as like putting on all that weight. But it's not. It's not the John Goodman like, uh, uh, you know, fat, happy, merry fellow. It's more the guy who's just middle aged, <laughs> has, hasn't has been sitting and hasn't really worked out forever, uh, and at one time was probably a big guy and is now a big guy in a less graceful way. No, but John Goodman can also be menacing. I mean, there are menacing moments in Big Lebowski. There are menacing moments in Barton Fink. I mean, there there are things that about his mien that just reminded me. I mean, it wasn't just... I'm not just talking about weight. I'm just talking about the overall look. There was just this weird thing, and, I, and I'm all, only saying that to agree with what you were, the point you were just making. They do try to do this thing with him where uh, the, the daughter really loves him and finds him lovable and teddy bear. Yeah, what? Yeah. I wasn't uh, buying a word of that shit. And I do think that is what Dingus what Ding is talking about, is them trying to cap, tap into this sort of lovable John Goodman-esque quality. Uh, I wasn't for that. Not. And I, I know, but I, I kind of also agree. But I think that's what they were going for, is they wanted this idea. And this is, again, where I thought I didn't feel the three characters really worked well together. Um, this, I, I think, is what they wanted to, to create, the dynamic between the daughter and, and uh, Russell Crowe's character. Hmm. And yeah, I'm with you, Kelly One. I didn't feel it worked, but I, I clearly that's what they were going for. Um, yeah, and it's nice to was... see. Like I, I like Russell Crowe is a charming guy, and even sure. he does take himself seriously. And I can completely understand that he will punch out photographers and has no sense of humor about his personal life or whatever. 
He's got charisma and charm. And uh, no, totally. But I just don't see how a thirteen-year-old girl would have that whole Yahoo thing. Was that like, yeah, she's a guy coming out of the. Well, yeah. Um, uh, uh, what did we think about some of the ancillary like uh, characters? So we had the blue face man. We had John Boy. We had uh, Keith David. Um, you know the interesting ancillary characters and thugs. We had uh, not not uh, shoot. What was the missing girl's name? Not Martha. Uh, Ariola. No, shoot. Dingus, you... Ariana. What was the missing girl's name? Ambrosia. Misty Mountains. No, no. Amelia. I think he's right. Is it really? No, it's Amelia. He's right. Uh, Lois Smith's character. Like, what did you guys think of the ancillary characters? Because there's, you know, a noir movie has to be picaresque. It has to have this sort of rogues gallery to it. How did you guys feel about uh, the the ancillary folks besides our leads? They were all tropes, I thought, mostly. Things did anybody stand out for you? Anybody did they? Anybody really work for you? Anybody really not work? What did you think of the folks besides our leads? Uh, I really liked Keith David. I liked Bonap uh, a lot. The guy who's the blue face dude. Um, I thought did you know him from something. I don't. I don't know him from anything. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, and I liked uh, mainly because I just love her name, Yaya Da Costa, who played who's the that? Tally character. Who's Tally? I think she's the one who gets coffee thrown in her face. Okay. Um, I kind of liked her. Um, but mainly it was just focusing on the three of them. Right. Um, do you guys remember when Lois Smith kissed Tom Cruise in Minority Report? Lois Smith is the Mrs. Glenn, the woman with the Coke bottle glasses. No. Really? No. Right. Oh, wait, in the eye surgery place? No, she's growing these, like, magic plants, uh, and Tom Cruise near, uh... The gardener? Yeah, maybe? yeah, and, uh, she, she's, like, this super wise scientist chick, and he comes to consult her for help, and just out of the blue, she leans in and kisses him. Uh, it's a really weird scene. I, li- I like Lois Smith a lot, and I just remember that was a really weird scene, uh, and it just came to mind as I was watching her behind those Coke bottle glasses in this movie. He looks like John Goodman, too, now. We haven't talked about over-unders. So we haven't talked about the things yeah. Kelly Wand, why did you do that so early? We weren't ready. Sorry. Seriously. I yeah. was just saying something. Just because you gave your over. Uh, all right, over-unders. Yeah, sorry. So, Kelly Wand, your over was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Also, my over, simply because... Uh, I just I didn't want to bracket it. I wasn't crazy about this. I just want to do Shane Black movies. So Kelly, thanks for stealing mine. Dingus, what uh, is your oath? Uh, well, uh, Chris Markinson agrees with you. I mean, kiss, kiss, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a little too easy, guys. Come on, you're not bracketing at all. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. A, I mean, I'm not a big pineapple I'm, express. No, no, I'm bracketing as best as I can because I'm not a big Shane Black fan. And Iron Man Three is great. It's fantastic. Uh, so if I'm looking at uh, Shane Black movies, I am absolutely bracketing. Yep. Pineapple Express is my over. Miss Bang Bang is off the table. Oh, wait, you're changing your over-under because Dingus, Dingus has bullied you into changing your yeah, over-under. Yeah, I, I think that's too easy. Come on. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's not even close. Dingus isn't letting me use it, Tom. He's wow. disqualified. Can I use it, Dingus, if I'm doing Shane Black movies? You can do whatever you want. I just... I, I don't... I... <laughs> too easy? I mean, there's a, I mean, I like a lot of other Shane Black movies more... Yeah, but you guys didn't like this really at all. I mean, you like bits of it, but you really, really liked uh, it. Yeah. I liked it more than Tom did. I was laughing sometimes. Okay. And that if they can make me laugh at all, then it, I usually will say see a movie because I'm not an easy laugh. Right? Don't you think? No? You're the most demanding laugh on this podcast, Kelly Wan. Dingus, yeah. what's your over? 
serious business. Um, before I do my over, I would uh, actually like to do my under. Because um, uh, uh, this is something I thought about while I was watching the movie and immediately afterward. And then when I was reading a couple of listener comments, this is something that um, somebody else nailed. And this is Soren Hoagland, who hasn't written in before for... Um, for uh, a listener comment. And I just love the way he puts this. He said, the nice guy would make a terrific double feature about the death of the hippie dream of America with inherent vice. You can draw a straight through line from the final drug handover to the suburbanites and inherent vice to the ineffectual protests and Detroit killing of Amelia in its nihilistic ending. And I really like the way Sarin puts that because to me, I mean, I put it in a, in a, in a much uh, more facile way. Uh, when somebody asked me, how'd you like it? I just said, it's like Inherent Vice, but funny. Um, and I really liked Inherent Vice. I think a lot more than you did, Kelly. Um, but I'm, I really have, uh, I mean, these movies that are, that are noir or noirish, or Tom used the term neo-noir, which I don't necessarily know that well, or I, I it said comic no, noir. Neo-noir right. is just noir that isn't actual French noir. I mean, it's just what you call oh. anything. It's probably not from that period. I'm being a little glib, but neo-noir is just what people use when they want to call something noir that technically isn't noir. Well, I didn't know if it meant like more, more modern noir or like something like Blade Runner or something. I didn't know if neo-noir – I didn't know what that term was. Technically, it just means like the more contemporary takes on noir, whereas if you want to be like a stickler, you use noir to specifically talk to that period of, of filmmaking with that style of filmmaking. Because noir, of course, a lot of it relied on being black and white, something like Long Goodbye, that uh, Robert Altman thing. Like you call that wow. neo-noir because it doesn't have a lot of the trappings of actual noir, so – Oh, okay. All right. It is not. It's not supposed to be as fancy a term, I think, as it's meant to be. It's just a way to cover your bases when you want to call something noir. It technically is very, very different from noirs in some important ways. Oh, okay. Because it sounded like a fancy term, and I thought I just didn't know what it was. Right. And, and whenever you say, what did you say? The long goodbye. Isn't that the Robert Altman thing? The Raymond Ch- with uh, Elliot Gould. Long goodbye or long kiss? No, long fright. Shoot. No, it's long, long goodbye. Is Elliot Bob Hoskins. Gould. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and long goodbye is Elliot Gould, right? So I'm totally confused <laughs> because I watched the long kiss goodnight this week, um, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, and uh, and Soren also mentions seeing that he watched it. He rewatched it again too, um, and so his question is: He wants to know that if um, if Samuel Jackson's Private Dick feels like a proto Holland March. Uh, but more than that, he says the Perry that got them after the shootout with John Boy was Gay Perry. That's his question. Wait, the, wait, say that again. The Perry that got them after the shootout with John Boy was Gay Perry, right? That's what he's asking. Wait, the Perry that got them out of the shooting. After the shootout with John Boy, right? So there's a Perry that gets them at, gets them out after the shootout with John Boy. And he's wondering if that's supposed to be an earlier gay Perry since this is 1970. Wait, I love that. Remind me of who the Perry is that gets him out of the shootout. I don't know because I, I saw it two weeks ago, so I'm, I don't remember what he's talking about. Is it, it a cop? Them, or yeah. out after the shootout with John Boy. Because they have the shootout with John Boy, and then the cops come, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And they're talking to the cops, so maybe there's a cop named Perry. I love that idea, though. That there's kind of this – Yaknapatawpha County shared universe of oh, nice. Shane Black's movies. I love that idea. So that's a great catch if that's true, Horan. Sorry. Isn't it pronounced <laughs> Paris, though? Oh, uh, Kelly. Very Horan. funny. All right, so Diggs, how does this lead to your under then? Because it sounded like you were working towards an under. Uh, so anyway, the, no, it's Inherent Vice. My under is Inherent Vice. Oh, Dingus, I'm, I can't be your friend anymore. Why can't you be my friend? I love, So you guys got to do Inherent Vice when I when I was at a commission. I love Inherent Vice. And yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I think Inherent Vice is an absolutely brilliant take 
on noir, uh, everything from uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance to the way that Paul Thomas Anderson adopts Pynchon to the use of California to the use of a period piece. I think everything to the, the character interaction, everything that clicks and works together. And I just – even though when I first saw it, I didn't like it so much. Upon a second viewing, I love Inherent Vice. I think it's, it's, it's almost ingenious. Uh, Everything that works about inherent vice didn't work for me in this. So wow. I think it's, I can't wow. be your friend anymore. I'm sorry. But I'm very, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm very closely bracketing because I loved inherent vice too. But there are things that just um, are a little too abrasive for me. In inherent and, vice, you mean? In inherent vice, and I think that Shane Black um, smooths those edges over, even in a goofy way. And I, and unlike you, I really did love. Uh, I loved the way that the chemistry worked in this. Dingus, so, I mean, they're very close, but I, I loved Inherent Vice, too, but I really, really did like uh, Nice Guys. Dingus, I would say, if it doesn't rub you the wrong way, it's not good more. Ah, very good. <laughs> very good point. <laughs> I, I, I like that, that actually. I actually like that as a rubric. All right, so your under is Inherent Vice. My under, uh, you guys ready for this? Yeah. Mm. Lethal Weapon. Don't like it. Not a fan of Lethal Weapon. At, at the time, I was totally into it. Uh, lethal Weapon is, is Shane Black that just doesn't work for me. Sorry. Yeah, how about hey, that? <laughs> so actually, Dingus, if you're going to do Inherent Vice, then I'm not going to apologize for putting, picking Lethal Weapon. I'm proudly saying Lethal Weapon is not as good as Kiss Kiss – whoops – is not as good as, uh, as The Nice Guys, which is not as good as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, of course. Right, of course, yeah. Kelly, what's your under? You're over being uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. What's your under? Is it also Lethal Weapon? My under is Chinatown. I can't be – okay, I'm not friends with either of you. You're both my, co- my podcast colleagues, but neither of you is my friend. Well played, Kelly. Well played. See? That's what you get for asking. Thing is, what's a movie that is slightly better than The Nice Guys? Um, so I would put mainly just because I like the production design and um, just the way this movie looks and the feel of it, I would put Bound just a little bit over this movie. What? Chowski's – yeah, Chowski's over Shane Black. There's so I, there. I meant to ask you this before, Dingus. Do we know who shot this? Like, did anyone of, of note? Was anyone of note the cinematographer for the Nice Guys? Uh, yes, there was. His name is Philip Russolo. Do you know offhand what we know him from? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. The guy Richie Sherlock. Well, you know, I mean, the guy Richie Sherlock Holmes are, are good-looking movies. Uh, but more importantly, he shot yeah. Constantine. Well, there you go, Dingus, burying the lead. Nice try. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry. Well done. He was so, testing yeah. you. Was uh, I, really, I really like Philip Rizzolo, and so I, I did really love the way this thing looked. But, yeah. um, All right. but, but I just – I have such – I have just – I haven't – and I haven't seen Bound in forever, so maybe it doesn't hold up. But I just remember loving the way that that movie was structured and just the – it just was such a gorgeous, glossy movie. And this, this particular movie is not a gorgeous, glossy movie. It's more of an L.A. in the 70s movie. All right, so now pretend that Britney Spears fires off, and we are transitioning now to a three-by-three. Dingus, this is another reason I can't be your friend anymore. (laughs) Why not? Hardware stores, seriously? Hardware stores, Uh, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? Yeah, I kept thinking of scenes and then going back, and I was like, oh, it's not a hardware store. They're just in a regular old store. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm happy with what I came up with, but – Oh, good lord. You're going to have to explain yourself when, when your turn is up. So uh, explain what the topic is, and then when we get to your number three, Dingus, I want to know your thought process for why that's the topic. All right. Th- these are your favorite scenes in hardware stores. I don't know why that's so difficult to understand. We've seen a few movies like, or a couple movies Well, like I understand that- it, but I just I, – there's no – hardware st- – What? 
All right. Well, I'm going first, so because I'm introducing next week's too, I think I understand it. It's just I kept looking up things as, as like, okay, yeah, isn't that seen in a hardware store? And I'm looking up, nope, not a hardware store. No, they sell candy. Yeah, well, or it's, or it's just a general goods store, or uh, like like a hardware store in and of itself doesn't. And maybe it's just because I don't know how to do hardware or whatever. But I don't generally have a frame of reference. Like a hardware store doesn't mean anything to me. Um, Oh, it's very meaningful to me. I mean, this, I mean you, your own. I was giving Dingus a hard time about this. Dingus owns things like a level, a power drill, um, uh, and other things that I wouldn't. Be does getting. he use them in front of you? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a friend of ours who's moving into a house, and he's helping her get stuff set up. And he's got all these weird tools that I didn't even know were in the house where we live. You know, Dingus has definitely gone shopping in hardware stores in ways that I haven't. So yeah, of course it means something to Dingus, but I'm. It's like somebody who doesn't know how to run a computer doing a three by three of uh, computer programming. Actually, That's where you go to a software store. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what I ended up doing was, uh, like, I picked these not because they're necessarily better than any other hardware scene stores, but they're they're scenes that I like that also happen to take place in hardware stores. So I'm not particularly proud of any of these, but. <laughs> By the process of elimination, yeah, here are scenes that I like. They're in hardware stores, so this is the only three I could come up with. My number three is a movie that we, we saw recently called They Look Like People, where a guy needs to buy sulfuric acid. Uh, and he goes in and he just asks the clerk, uh, and he needs it for nefarious purposes. And he asks the clerk, uh, what would happen if you got this on your skin? And the clerk's like, uh, I guess it would burn. And it's just like a, a minimum wage worker and this guy who doesn't know anything about sulfuric acid, and it's in a hardware store. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's an ominous development in, in the movie. Uh, so there's that's my number perfectly three. Perfectly fine with me. That's the kind of thing I'm going for. There are things that you can only get in hardware stores, and there's a reason that they actually show these. So in right. Stores. The thing is, here's the scene I really wanted to do, and I'm going to call this up. I, no one's going to mention this. It's not a hardware store. There's a similarly fantastic, fantastic, fantastic scene, and you guys are both again. Number three, for the reasons that I can't be your friends anymore, you guys still haven't seen a Kelly Reichardt movie named Night Moves, which is her – it's a Kelly Reichardt thriller, and Kelly Reichardt doing a thriller, it's an anti-thriller, and I love that about it. But there's a point where characters need to do something equivalent to where the guy buys sulfuric acid. You know, They're, they're up to no good. They need to acquire something. They need to do it without alerting a clerk in a particular situation. And there's an amazing scene between Dakota Fanning and James LeGros. But it's not a hardware store. It's a freaking agricultural goods store. But it's that same kind of scene, and I love that scene, and I wanted to use that. And I was thinking, well, maybe they sell hardware at this agricultural goods store so I can get away with doing that. But I didn't feel – it just didn't technically fit into hardware store. Um, so I had to go with this where the guy goes in to buy acid, even though there's – you know, Night Moves has a way better version of this scene. Uh, hmm. So there you go. Uh, they look like people. I would like this to have been a pick for Night Moves, but unfortunately this agricultural goods store doesn't really sell hardware. So I'm sorry we're not friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, podcast colleagues, like I said, I'm fine with that, but I just – you know. Until you see Night Moves, uh, until you take Chinatown off of your over-under for the nice guys. I forgot what the third reason was. I can't be your friend. So you know what, Kelly Wand? Just those are the only two. You take care of those two things, and we'll be friends again. In the meantime, Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite scene in a hardware store? Uh, Final Destination 3. Oh, no, wait. <sighs> Shoot. <laughs> what just, just used- happened? 
Well, him saying Final Destination, I didn't realize. I'm, I'm going to like Kelly's pick better than mine. I can already tell. There's a dude with a nail gun, and he uses it to kill some pigeons that are annoying him. He's on, like, this crane, and it's really late in the movie, and they're being Final Destination characters, and they're being really, like, cavalier and, like, we got – so what if we lost five people who were supposed to not die? Yeah, check this out. And then he's like shooting pigeons with a nail gun. And then uh, lightning strikes an icicle or something. And then it causes like a microwave to explode. And then it makes the nail gun uh, like shoot his girlfriend like a bunch of times with the nail. And this happens in a hardware store? Yeah, it happens in the hardware store. Because the nail gun being out of the hardware store would be too far-fetched for Final Destination. So that happens. So a girl's kid with a nail gun in a hardware store. I, I think and you're then, lying. I think there's it's not in a hardware store, Kelly Wand. I think you just picked something that involves a nail gun. Is that true? Tell us the truth. Yeah. What? It's in a hardware store. That's what the, he works there, and it happens while they're at work. They both work there. They both work at the hardware store. That's how I knew that I was right because it's like the guy's job. So he would be at a different place. Is this true, Dingus? Do you believe him? Because I'm not sure I believe him. And I know the Final Destination movies. I would think I would remember. If Are you some... asking me to confirm something about the Final Destination movies? I'm just asking if you believe him. I think Kelly Wan just picked something with a nail gun. Because <laughs> if that was going to happen, I could have done other things. Well, if he was going to pick something with a nail gun, he would have picked Lethal Weapon 2. That might, we don't know what his number one and number two picks are. Dingus. That's a good point. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Kelly Wan, so there's really a Final Destination sequence in a hardware store. Because I thought you were going to remind me of something where you know the hammer falls off the shelf and then it hits a thing of ball bearings and then the ball bearings roll across and they start a forklift and the forklift drops a bunch of planks on someone. I thought you were going to remind me of some scene like that. I did a Google for Final Destination 3 hardware store, and it's all, yeah, there's an alternate ending in the hardware store scene uh, where he fires a warning shot at the pigeons. Ian and his girlfriend, Aaron, are working at a hardware store. (laughs) Why did Kevin arrive to warn them? Kimberly went to a hardware store to ask for directions. Okay, okay. Ian and Aaron working at a hardware store. Ran into each other at a hardware store. Camaro ran through the store. Uh, Is three the roller coaster coaster one? Or the NASCAR one? Okay. No, it's the roller coaster one. Okay. It's a Home Depot-like hardware store, and they refuse to leave the one. That's why – and they're camped there. They feel they're safest in a hardware store. shoot. All right. Good one, Kelly Wan. So not only are you dumb, you're really (laughs) – because it's actually a plot point that they're in a hardware store. Frankly, I lose interest in uh, Final Destination 3 after Shalane Simmons gets killed in the suntan booth. That's the same one, I think. I know. That's what I'm saying. Is once that happens, there's n- not much point to watch the Final Destination series. Once you've there's watched Shalane Simmons. Yeah, so. It's also a f- scene or something. Yeah. All right. Well, Dingus, what led to – I guess we might have to wait for your number one choice. But uh, what's your number three pick, and is there anything we need to know about why you picked this or what your thinking was? Or um, It's because the plywood fell into the uh, – muzzle of the nail gun and that's why the nails fire out so the fact that it's a hardware store is critical i'm vaguely remembering this kelly one i i i i trust you now all right okay sorry dingus i felt i had to defend myself well the the whole they look like people thing with the nail gun is awesome well because they also don't do the thing where the nail oh actually 
I forget. Do they do the thing where the nail gun like shoots across the room and? Oh, he does. Well, he, he takes out the spring. Right, I mean, right, he, right. He dismantles it because as you're watching it, anybody who's ever used a nail gun knows that it has to be depressed in order to work. And he figures that out. As he's well, and they even acknowledge that in the movie, by the way, with having him push it down onto his hand and put it in his mouth, and right, exactly. they make it clear that he knows that, and then they show him modifying it. So, yeah. right, right. Remember the nail gun in Lethal Weapon Two, where he goes nailed them both. Stanley Glover. Well, he took the spring out in that as well. He yeah. modified. Yeah. I'm glad uh, you brought that up. <laughs> uh. All right, so Dingus, your number three pick. What do you got for us? Uh, my number three pick is uh, here's a quote from it. Um, I'll take a hug. I'm not going to just start guessing movies with hardware stores in them because I can only think of two more, and they're my number two and my number one. So, All right, this is from the movie Garden State, um, and this is when they go into a hardware store called Handy World, uh, and the whole reason they go into there is because this particular hardware store, uh, the way they do their personnel work, uh, means that Peter Sarsgaard can run a scam to make a little bit of money in order to pay for large bins. Uh, or um, Zach Braff's uh, birthday present. Uh, so they go into this hardware store, um, and they run into this guy who works at the hardware store, and this, is, this movie's all about a guy coming back from L.A., where he's kind of not... I mean, he's played a couple of parts as an actor, but he's working in a restaurant. He's coming back for his mother's funeral. And he goes into the hardware store with his friends uh, because Peter Sarsgaard char- character says, we need to do some things in this hardware store. Uh, so they're walking through the aisles of the hardware store and they're running into this guy and the guy's like, I'm going to start my own business. And he starts talking to them and Peter Sarsgaard says, don't give him your number. And then he wanders off. Peter Sarsgaard just leaves the, the scene. Um, and then after a while, when they realize that this, this kid who works at the hardware store, um, who was somebody that Largeman went to school with, high school with, is really trying to get them into a pyramid scheme. Um, he comes walking back through. Uh, with this huge box, and he goes, all right, guys, let's get out of here. And he goes up to the returns desk, and he goes, I need to return these. And the woman at the desk is like, uh, we have a receipt? He's like, nope, they're just not sharp enough. Like, I don't understand. There's a sharpener in the box. He goes, I don't want them. They're not sharp enough. And the return policy is if you don't have a receipt and it's under $40, then you can get your money back. And then he can use that to go buy them some nitrous or whatever for Largeman's birthday. But I just love the the whole setting of the hardware scene in that particular case. All right. Did you see Garden State, Kelly Wand? Uh, I saw the Portman parts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My second favorite scene in a hardware store, uh, and just to make sure, you know, you guys did a podcast on this, and I felt after your podcast like I didn't need to see it, but I knew there was hardware store shenanigans in it, so I watched it. And I just for the absurdity of it, I love that goofy hardware showdown at the end of The Equalizer where mm. Terminator Denzel Washington is just way too badass to just take one of these mercenaries' guns and then shoot the other mercenaries. He has to do all this contrived like hardware store kill, R-rated kill kind of nonsense, like with tree pruning shears and – uh, you know, there's even the, uh, the nail gun in the rain bit because mm-hmm. they've set off the silly sprinklers at the end. And the absurd – I think Antoine Fuqua has no concept of how ridiculous that scene is, that whole sequence, by the way, which makes it all the more uh, absurd and enjoyable. Uh, he takes it so seriously. Um, you know, he, there's this mirror shard fight where uh, Denzel and the 
mercenary are rolling around stabbing each other with broken glass. There's a uh, there's this. Uh, he makes a noose out of bob wire and hangs a guy with it. Uh, at one point, he 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 gets wounded, so he takes an acetylene torch and he heats a doorknob to cauterize the wound. Like that's the sort of thing you can only do in a hardware store. Uh, and I just I you know you guys had talked about it in the podcast, and I was like, okay, I don't need to see that. I think you made fun of that hardware store sequence. So when Dingus mentioned this topic, I was like, well, I better just check it out anyway. Uh, and yeah, the movie's silly, but this the silliness just culminates so incredibly in that hardware store sequence in Equalizer that that's my second favorite scene in a hardware store. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and as someone who doesn't really have a frame of reference for a hardware store or what you would do in one or why you need to go to one, you know, if you need a screwdriver, just get one at Target. Uh, <laughs> I sort of figure, yeah, that's that's probably you know that's something you can only have in a hardware store. Who's the so. girl in it? Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah, and she's barely mm. in it. Well, she's not. Yeah. she like she's in it the first part, and then she's gone for like an hour and a half, and then she comes back for the little coda at the end. She's barely in it. I but they have that weird typical scene in the in the coffee shop where they're all knowing and everything. Yeah, well, yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a Russian girl who gets killed though too. There's a Russian girl who gets killed, and he, uh, yeah, he ends up for no. Yeah, he blows up an oil refinery just randomly, like partway through the movie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but then God, you have that, that ridiculous. really great scene in the in the Russian up, you know, the Russian bar upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, where you first find out his his like elite fighting skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great scene. It's like you know, it's, he's a Terminator Denzel. Like nothing can can beat him. So, right. Uh, There's a tool called the Equalizer that they sell at the hardware store. <laughs> what, is, what does it do, Kelly Bond? <laughs> uh, it screws uh, planks into uh, two by fours. <laughs> wow. You need a lot of that. Use ceiling joists, screw bolts. Well, Kelly, on given your knowledge of hardware stores, and I think I'm really curious to hear what your second favorite scene in a hardware store is. My number two is from the movie Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where they take death to the hardware store because they're going to make robots of themselves to fight the other robots, the evil robots. And death has like a Sith that he's checking out. And then uh, a guy's smoking a cigarette, and then Death goes, see you soon. And then the guy coughs a little bit. And then the Neanderthals buy, like, some gadgets. Now, this one, I believe, I, I have no problem believing that they go to a hardware store in a Ted and Bill movie. So that works for me. Right. You call him Ted and Bill? Bill, <laughs> whatever. I don't place a value judgment on who gets top billing. Hmm. Get it? Uh, all right, Ding is your second favorite scene in a hardware store. All right, here's a quote from it. Um, good, let's talk about disposal. We need a spade if we're going to dig a pit. Okay. See, I was trying to think. Oh, you know what? I think I know what this is, but for unfair reasons. Yeah. Uh, this is from the movie Shallow Grave. Yep, see, I knew it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I really love this hardware store. See, and I haven't seen Shallow Grave. Since it was in the theater, and so I got to watch it again this week because hmm. I really wanted to see this scene again. So uh, then this, this this then says to me, Ding, is they have hardware stores in Scotland? I thought uh, that was like an American thing. There's just one. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's probably run by an American too. All right, that makes sense. Probably, but there's there's these there's all this stuff where they're going because because um, have you guys seen Shallow Grave in a while? Have you has it been a while since you've seen? When is the last time you've seen Shallow Grave? Do you know? 
been a while. Been a while. Yeah, yeah, a while. Been a while. All right. So <laughs> Ewan McGregor's character, the movie begins with them interviewing people with 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 Ewan McGregor's character, Christopher Eccleston and Carrie Fox, all interviewing people to take a a room in their flat. And they're just really messing with people right and left. And finally, this guy named Hugo takes the room in their flat. Um, and he locks himself in his room, and he ends up just conking, just dying. Uh, and then they find a huge suitcase of money, and it's all about sort of the trouble with Harriet's. Like, what do we do with this guy's body? And Ewan McGregor's character convinces them, um, look, let's keep the money and just get rid of his body, but we have to do it in the right way. Right. We, have, we have to do it in this way that totally... Uh, he cannot be found like throwing him in the water is not going to work so we we have to talk about disposal and so I remember to to all that first. too like with Christopher Eccleston having to do the teeth and stuff and how it unhinges him and yeah all that stuff I vividly recall right well, he, he, he just can't do it he's like I can't do this but before we get to that point they're in this bright sunny beautifully lit huge hardware store um, where you um, McGregor is totally messing around with Christopher Eccleston. You know, he's, he's got one of these huge, you know, Christopher Eccleston's looking at things on the wall and Ewan McGregor saying, yeah, we're going to need one of these. We're going to need one of those. And all of a sudden uh, Ewan McGregor has one of these huge, um, uh, like screwdriver drill things that you like gank it forward and it shoots the screwdriver bit forward and he does that in Christopher Eccleston's face and, and Christopher Eccleston's all freaked out and then he and then uh, um, Ewan McGregor picks a hacksaw off the shelf and goes we're going to need one of these and then he picks this, this ball peen hammer up and he tosses it to Christopher Eccleston and they're walking down the aisle and he's talking about oh we're going to need a spade we're definitely going to need a spade if we're going to dig a pit because that's what we're going to have to do and then as they get to the end of the aisle Carrie Fox comes down um the aisle, uh, the the uh, perpendicular aisle with this cart, and it's got like a huge tarp, <laughs> a huge blue tarp in the cart, and the three of them are just out shopping to dispose of a body, and I love that they're in this brightly lit hardware store. Well, they're talking about how they're going to dispose of this guy in their flat who's stinking up the place so that they can keep the money. And that's I was trying to think of a scene like that because hardware stores generally have some sort of an insidious connotation with like disposing of bodies and tarps and shovels and duct tape yeah. and stuff. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly the kind of scene I was trying to think of, Dingus. And I was thinking maybe, you know, in Cop Car, was there ever a scene where you see Kevin Bacon having to buy all that lime that he uses to, oh. to break down the body? And there's not, but I was trying to think of stuff like that. Like, what's a scene with the murderer disposing of bodies, and do we ever see when he goes out and buys all the shovels? And, yeah, so Shallow Grave is exactly that. Dead coming. Shoot. Yeah, the wire has got it, some good ones. I really, really liked watching that again. By the way, it was it was such a pleasure to watch it again. the The colors are so vibrant and bright, um, and just watching you and McGregor at that age, uh, in that age of experience, and not even knowing and remembering. And this is what I said in in the post that you're talking about, Tom, is that not even really knowing who Christopher Eccleston was at that stage, and kind of missing what he was doing because I was so bowled away by how. Uh, I don't know, ebullient Ewan McGregor is. Yeah, yeah, he's super bubbly in that. He's really bubbly. Bubbly is a better word, I think, yeah. Then he made Phantom Menace. <laughs> Kelly Wand, quit bringing I mean, the room uh, down. Way to bring the galaxy down. Oh, uh, no. All right, well, here's why, Ding, it's ultimately I'm okay with this uh, topic. Because, and I, you know what, this is going to have to go on the, the list of reasons I can't be y'all's friends. You guys have never gotten around to seeing a movie called Red, White, and Blue, have you? 
With no attack. Wait, we did see that. Oh, you did? Okay, good. In that case. Kelly Wand, I can be your friend. Dingus, I can't be. You know, Dingus, I'll be your friend because I don't think this movie is for you. If you did see it, uh, yeah. Wait, is that the Scoot McNary movie? (sighs) I said Kelly Wand, I can't be your friend twice now. I'm putting this down as a times two reason. Not a Scoot McNary movie. All right, here's a line from it. And this is how I know, by the way, it applies. Dingus, is there a difference? Let me just ask you real quick to get some clearance here. Is there a difference between a store and a depot? Huh. What a ridiculous question. <laughs> In that case, Dingus, I'm going to take Kelly Wan's answer uh, and, and say – because here's the line. I used to work at a hardware depot back when I was in college, not like this one, but a similar one. So here I am trying to figure out if I met myself when I was 21, would I be proud of who I am now, of what I've achieved in this life? Would I want to go into the CIA or would I want to put all that shit behind me? This is a conversation that Noah Taylor, and he's so amazing in this movie, is having with uh, an actress named Amanda Fuller who has a lot of TV credits. I don't know her from anything else, but she's really good in this movie. They're at the the garden area. They're at the the outdoor garden goods area of this hardware depot where all the employees go to eat lunch, and they're sitting at a wooden bench. Uh, He's a new employee there. Uh, he's, he got her a job. They live in the same boarding house. They don't really know each other, but they're sitting there having lunch one day in the back of this hardware store, Depot. And she asks him, okay, you know, what's the deal with you? What's your deal? How do you come to work here? And he said, oh, I just got honorably discharged from the Army. Uh, I have an offer to go into the CIA. And he's this crazy guy. Like, he looks – he just looks like this crazy homeless man. I mean, you guys know who Noah Taylor is. He plays like insane people. Uh and here he is saying he's honorably discharged from the army, and he's got a CIA job offer, and he's working at some hardware store. And she's like, no way. Come on. What are you doing working at a hardware store? I don't believe you. And that's when he explains this about he used to work at a hardware store. So here he is again just trying to assess what to make of his life to get in touch with you know, what he was like when he was 21 and decide whether or not to take this job from the CIA, which she doesn't believe him. And he's, he's insane. He's making stuff up. Um, so I love that scene between the two of them getting to know each other. Mm. Uh, and the movie is about uh, – so the reason it's not for you, Dingus, and the reason, Kelly Wan, you really need to see it. Uh, the director's an English fellow named Simon Rumley. He's done a couple of horror movies. Uh, this is very much hey, – it's a horror movie. It's, it's about three characters. His name is Simon Rumley? Yes, R-U-M-L-E-Y. Yeah. My wife used to say I, I make a living off of Rumby Tumpy. Uh. Is that a, is that a uh, quote from The Nice Guys? Sorry, go ahead. Ah, Hang right. on. Uh, so uh, Simon Rumley has done horror movies, and this is not it, – it's an indie movie that I think you would call – so sometimes when a, when a story is dark, uh, you would append a word to it and then call it gothic. Like, for instance, Fargo is like Minnesota gothic, for instance. Uh, Blood Simple, Texas gothic. Uh, mm. Red, White, and Blue also takes place in Texas. It's not Gothic. It is Jacobian. And uh, like Jacobian drama is like Gothic but with all this like gore and sex and horrible things happening. Uh, this is Jacob- Texas Jacobian. Like the, the, the violence in this horror movie is, uh, is astonishing. Um, and it's a movie about three people who do absolutely terrible things – all for absolutely understandable reasons. Uh, and I love Red, White, and Blue. It's a, it's a tough watch, uh, but it's a brilliant indie movie. It's an amazing Noah Taylor performance. Uh, 
and uh, it's it's three really well written characters. And Dingus, it's too dark for you. You shouldn't see it. But Kelly Wand, I have no idea what Scoot McNary thing you're thinking of. This is not a Scoot McNary movie. Uh, but Kelly Wand, this is for you. So there you go. And it's got a great scene where two characters get to know each other in a hardware store. Hmm. All right. Um, yes. You said – did you give a Southern Gothic? Uh, well, I think like uh, uh, Southern Gothic would be something like – is Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil or is that just crime in the South? Uh, is there a movie with Peter Gallagher that you mentioned as Southern Gothic? Not that I can think of. But oh, Southern Gothic, like – you know, like the underneath. Is it called The Underneath? Is that is that a Southern Gothic? Is that the Steven, the Steven, Steven Soderbergh's second movie? I don't remember. All right, never mind. Just when yeah. you were talking about the different gothics, but now Jacobian makes – am I not allowed to watch any Jacobians? Are they not running us any of them? No, probably not. No, not yeah. for you. As, as a matter of fact, you can watch Red, White, and Blue, but you can't watch like the last part of it. All right, so I can just watch just Red and watch White. Just watch Red and White. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't uh, get to get, be there for Julia Binoche? That sucks. Yeah, sorry. Yep. Hmm. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, your favorite hardware store scene in a movie is? Uh, from Fifty Shades of Grey, when uh, Dakota Johnston works in the hardware store, and uh, Christian Grey comes to visit her after she does a piece on him. Wait, I thought she's a journalist. Why is she working in a hardware no, store? No, she's not a journalist. That's the thing. Her friend's sick. You see, yep. The, her friend's the journalist, and but she gets sick, so she makes her roommate do the interview for her. Even I didn't know journalists could a, do that. Is that something? That I know. I, I didn't know either. I would have that's, availed myself of that option if I'd known that that's something that journalists can do when they get sick. Rats. Huh. You can just make your roommate do it. You can have that's dingus. What go that's what you did to us last week. You're like, oh, I can't do podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. So podcasters and journalists get to do that. Fair enough. That's how me and dingus found each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True story. Uh, and uh, dingus, can you back him up on this? I haven't seen Fifty Shades of Grey. I know you have. Uh, Dakota Johnson works in a hardware store. Is that right, dingus? Yeah, yes, she does. Right. And then what happens, Dingus? Do you remember? And then he comes in to buy bondage things, and he's all, yeah, so much toys, some butt plugs, uh, a couple hammers. Uh, a Henway. He buys a Henway, I believe. He buys Henways. And she's all, oh, that would shit. totally be inappropriate for bondage. But he's yeah. really just, he's quote unquote flirting with her. Yeah. Isn't there another customer who's like bothering her or something? It's like, do you have my egg cartons or something? Is what? That something like that? Boy, Doesn't her dad work at the hardware store? I remember store? far more about that. I wish Tom had chosen this and just made it like a full trifecta of movies that we had to do when he was <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, it would have been uh, Equalizer, Fifty Shades of Grey, and then uh, Inherent Vice. I loved how when you asked Ingus if, it was, if he could verify that she works in a hardware store, and he just went, Yes. Right. He was ashamed that he knew. Yeah. He could verify. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. It's just like biting off the word yes. Because <laughs> I've yes. seen most of the movies you guys did when I wasn't around for that time, and uh, Fifty Jupiter Shades of Grey. Ascending. Actually, I haven't seen that one. That and Fifty Shades of Grey are movies that I didn't really feel the need to see. Mm. <laughs> I just call it Shades. So. <laughs> did you ever see Interstellar, Tom? Uh, yeah. Don't get me started. You guys are still. You know what? That's another reason can't be friends with dingus and kelly interstellar all right that's going on the list as well that's the dumbest thing you like <laughs> by far no come on I, Wait, no, no, dude, I, I can do way I, better I, than that come on chupacabra terror 
I've got, so I've got a, I've got a runner-up that I think he likes that is even dumber. What? Um, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay, Interstellar's not that dumb. I mean, come on, I've loved, I've liked things way dumber than Interstellar. Man will save us. I want to shake hands with the, uh, and then she's in the hospital bed, and then he's in a work. Oh, it's so stupid. What are you that talking about? Stupid. Interstellar. What? Stop. <laughs> We had dust, so we had to put our plates upside down. Oh, it was a crazy time. First of all, that was footage from an actual actual survivor of the Dust Bowl. You're not making fun of a movie when you say that, Kelly One. You're making fun of a historical event that a guy lived through. Nice work. Sick burn. I'm making fun of both, the man and the event. Oh, really? You think that the Dust Bowl and the the Depression era is something that that should be made fun of? Kelly One, that's way insensitive. I'm very disappointed in you. Why don't you go ahead and make fun of things like a World War II or Reconstruction or the Marshall Plan while you're at it? Go ahead. Get it? It's adjustable because it's a bowl. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dingus, get us out of this historical Just, uh, discussion. What is your favorite scene in I a- make fun of slavery because I'm not racist. See, I wasn't going to go there, Kelly Wan. You, you just you Reconstruction. You tromped there all on your own. Nice I part. tromped there. You, you yeah. dragged that mud in. Good work, Kelly Wand. Nice go. Uh, Oh, thing is quick before he says something about the genocide. The Renaissance is hilariously stupid. <laughs> He's twelve what? years twelve years not a racist. All right, so <laughs> my quote from my number one hardware store movie scene is this. Uh, All right, we'll get it somewhere else. This is not the only place in town. Goodbye, or maybe I should say, sayonara. Midnight Run. No. Okay. Wait, it sounds really familiar. Is it uh, Punch Drunk Love? It is not. Is it uh, Letters from Iwo Jima? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is from a movie called The Mosquito Coast. Um, this is uh, a movie I just have such fondness for. And <laughs> I've what? What's wrong with you? Ah, uh, that's not good. <laughs> what do you mean that's not good? It's not good. Not a good movie. <laughs> I think it's, it's I think it's a great movie and it's one of my favorite Dwayne Johnson performances actually. <laughs> I absolutely love it. and I've been pouring over the over several soundtracks cuz I ever since uh, Tom had the uh the music thing I've been trying to write up all the things that I couldn't include on in the podcast uh because there's so many different pieces of music and I'm trying to think of how they work in the different scenes in the movies uh and this is one of the soundtracks that I own. Um, on actual vinyl, uh, and I was listening to it, and I was remembering that the, one of the first scenes in the movie takes place in a hardware store, and it's this great scene, especially for right now. Uh, of course, right, it, it, you know, Ali Fox, who's the character Harrison Ford is playing, is taking his son Charlie, uh, played by River Phoenix, into this hardware store to get this this piece of of, uh, of rubber stripping. That he wants to get to to build this machine that he's going to make. He's he's making this machine that will create ice, and he'll eventually, of course, make a huge machine that will create ice in Mosquito on the Mosquito Coast in order to bring ice to the savages. To because you know, ice is civilization. Civilization is ice. Uh, and he's going into the store, and he's just he's just talking and talking and talking and pontificating about how awful America is and how awful fast food is and how you can buy anything and throw it away. And we've just become a trash society, and everything is outsourced to other countries. And in, in this particular case, now, now we've shifted it to China nowadays, 
or Mexico as the manufacturers. But at this point, he's talking about Japan. So he goes into this place and he says, I, I want this piece of, of rubber stripping. And the clerk, who happens to be played by Jason Alexander, of all people, uh, which I didn't remember until I watched it again this week, uh, Jason Alexander, George Costanza, comes walking up and hands him this this piece of, of rubber stripping. of uh, And... and um, Ali Fox looks at it and goes, nope, it's made in Japan. I don't want it. Uh, do you have anything that's made in America? Because I'll take that. And and this guy is used to him coming in all the time. As soon as he walks in the door, George uh, uh, Jason Alexander rolls his eyes and throws this thing back on the shelf. He knows that, okay, this is not going to lead to anything. Uh, and he stops by, and I think it's, it's a, a stand-up of Roger Moore holding a chainsaw that says the ninja chainsaw. Um, in, in his James Bond costume. And this is part of Ali Fox's diatribe about how foreigners are ruining this country. And I can't even go to a hardware store and get just a piece of rubber stripping that I need for uh, this invention that I'm making. Um, and he, he refuses to buy it. It's $3.99. He refuses to buy it. And he walks out and goes and, and hauls his son off to the junkyard to strip that piece of stripping off of some thing out in a junkyard. But I love that, that piece in the hardware store where he's just going on and on about how America is just this cesspool and this, and this war is coming. One of the great things – I don't know if you guys have seen this. I don't know, I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but, but Ali Fox is constantly saying the word nuclear. Um, and he's talking well, Harrison about, Ford doesn't know how to pronounce that word. He, he says that in an Indiana Jones movie. He just doesn't know – Harrison Ford just can't pronounce the word correctly, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. But he's talking about this coming war, that, that there's this amazing coming war that's coming to America. And it's not going to be a war like other wars. It's going to be a war, a war where not every side is innocent. And it really has this sort of weird 10 Cloverfield Lane thing that happens later on as he takes his family. He uproots them. And Helen Mirren plays his wife, by the way. She's awesome in this movie. They're both so good in this movie. He takes them off into this jungle, uh, into this, this little town that they buy, and he creates a civilization for himself. And he, and he basically makes his family believe that the rest of civilization has been destroyed. There has been this war that I have told you about that happened on, you know, in America. America is no longer there. We are civilization now. And ice is civilization. I have brought ice to these people. And he's clearly a crazy man. But I love that opening scene in the hardware store. And that, especially that it's George from Seinfeld because there's this, there's this funny, uh, there's this bit in, uh, when, when George is trying to, uh, keep on the unemployment rolls where, uh, he goes out with the daughter of his caseworker for unemployment and he says, I would like to work in a hardware store. Wouldn't you love to make a key? Um, so it's funny to see Jason Alexander playing this this clerk in a hardware store when I I totally didn't remember that until I watched it again. But it's, it was just a, such a joy to listen again to this soundtrack and watch it in the context of the movie and to watch Harrison Ford. And this is easily one of my favorite Harrison Ford performances, storming through this store, dragging River Phoenix. River Phoenix, again, he's amazing in this movie as well, dragging him along and River Phoenix just idolizing his dad um, as the oldest boy in the family when they're going to make this civilization. And it's just this weird, like, we want this thing of rubber. No, it's not a made in America. And he already knows. It's a foregone conclusion. Uh, but anyway, the, it's, it, and, but it's a little small, little contained hardware store. Is the, is the soundtrack Ennio Morricone? Uh, no, it's Maurice Jarre. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, and do you know if I, who wrote the book? Do you remember? Yeah, it's Paul Theroux. 
Paul Thoreau, right, right, right. So Dingus, and not not to uh, just like be a yeah, you're wrong, I'm right. Uh, but this, <laughs> it's it's actually this is a major part in my whole uh, deal about why I feel that uh, Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. Um, I feel, and I, and I watched Mosquito Coast a year or so ago. Uh, you know, I love the idea of Thoreau's story, and I like that Peter Weir wanted to make a movie of it. To me, Harrison Ford is is way out of his depth in this one. It's miscast. Uh, it's miscast, and it's a great role, by the way. But I feel, and, and I'm not just saying this to be uh, like contrarian about it, but I feel like Dwayne Johnson would know better than to take something like this. Like Dwayne Johnson is very self-aware about what he can and can't do, and I feel this is Harrison Ford – just out of it, in over his head. Like I don't feel that this this amazing, fascinating character, this really cool script, um, what he does to his family. There's this kind of insanity to this character. Is he is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he destructive? Is he ultimately noble? Um, it, there's so much depth and layer to it and weight um, that as much as someone who you know. When I say Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford, I'm not intending. I mean, I love Harrison Ford as much as the next guy. I was as moved by him in Force Awakened as anyone. He was as vital to my childhood, being Han Solo as anyone, being Indiana Jones. He Nobody else could be Indiana Jones. Uh, I love Harrison Ford, but this is an example. This, this for me, is kind of what I get at when I say, yeah, Dwayne Johnson's a better actor. It's, I just Harrison Ford just doesn't work for me in this. Um, and I do like the movie. I love what it's going for, and I just wish it had been someone else. Um, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because it is funny, like just looking at the poster or the album cover that I have, because his face kind of looks like what? No, that look on his face, right? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's like the, the, that expression that Frodo has on the Lord of the Rings poster, looking at the ring. Like, what am I? Supposed to, yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Um, I do like the way that he gets the overbearing stuff, but I think you're right about the depth. Um, like it, it's and, almost like something that you would expect, like like someone crazy, like uh, like Klaus Kinski to play. I mean, it's this Werner Herzogy kind of role in a way. Um, right, but you worry. I, I think that, and and I've thought about this a lot because one of the one of the things that happened because this came out in 1986, and I was in uh, a high school theater class at this time. And one of the things that the teacher asked us to do was imagine uh, one role that you would like to play. If you could, if you could replay the role that eventually. If you could replay this one role, and and at that particular time, I chose Ali Fox. I mean, I love this character, but I thought of all the different things that I could do with it. But I still think it's the best thing he has done. I don't think he gets the darkness and the depth, but I don't, I don't know. I think that because of the way the movie is so frightening about the family, I don't know that you want a Klaus Kinski. Well, then you're right. That's way overboard. That's uh, like it definitely has to be someone who has a, a sort of a paternal caring side to him. I guess I guess what I'm saying is what the character eventually comes to is this insane Klaus Kinski driven element like that crazy right. that Klaus Kinski has. I would want an actor that can't bring that Harrison Ford as cool dad. He's got that down pat. It's the Klaus Kinski dark, crazy edge that, that I feel is missing. Um, right. uh, I just want to say I think Dwayne Johnson would make a good lurch. <laughs> so do you guys, by the way, know what, sh- what Shane Black and Anthony Bagarazzo's next project is? No. It's the Dwayne Johnson Doc Savage. No, oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah. And, and that's that also. I mean, even uh, yeah, like uh, seeing Shane Black and, and his co-writer from uh, mm-hmm. Nice Guys doing a pulp serial Doc I'm Savage. I'm a huge fan of Doc Savage. I, I don't know who that is. I just can't, I keep thinking oh, of Doctor man, Strange. What's the See, exactly. The thing is, I uh, thought the same thing. I was like, oh, it's that Benedict Cumberbatch Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, but it's not. Doc Savage is something different. And and Dwayne Johnson, like, 
the, the sense of humor. Like it's not like I could imagine Dwayne Johnson and Shane Black sort of complementing each other's senses of humor and maybe working well together. I don't know. I'm, I'm psyched for it. Uh, but Doc that's, Savage. That's their next thing. Yeah. Bunk and Ham. You, what you just said, Kelly, I've exhausted the, the extent. All I know about Doc Savage is that his shirt is often ripped. Yeah, but he's smart. He has a college that he takes the criminal glands out. Never mind, you'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he has five sidekicks. He has Rennie and Johnny and Long Tom and Monk and Ham. That's a little, that's a bit too Pig. much. Like, what, who needs five sidekicks? One of them's a lawyer with a sword cane. That's Ham, and Monk's a chemist, I think. That's dangerously on the verge of being an ensemble piece. And there's a cousin named Pat. What? That's six. Yeah, you've just uh, – this is sounding like Magnificent Seven, Kelly Wand. They were war heroes and war buddies, you see. Hmm. All right, well, I'll find out when uh, Shane Black uh, does his movie with Dwayne Johnson. His villain's name is Sunlight. What do you think of that name? Is, she, is it like a hippie chick? No, his name's John. Oh, John, God. I heard that part. I, thought, I just heard Sunlight. Jesus. <laughs> the villain's name is Sunlight. I was expecting some like hippie chick from the from the 70s. Huh. Dingus, what have the listeners come up with for hardware store scenes in movies? Ooh. <laughs> All right, we have somebody named Rob Lowe who has written in. No, wait a minute. Is it Rob Lowe or is it Rob Blow? It is Rob Low. Wow, I've worked with this guy, just so you guys know. Yeah, you have. Does he spell it L-O-W-E? Yes, he does. Wow. So Rob Lowe has written in and say, hey, Tom and Cruz, it's my first time running in. I'm pretty sure the no, cops quick, will write everything I, I, in order. Go ahead. I want to apologize because he probably hears that all the time. I imagine how annoying it would be if your name was actually Rob Lowe. Like having to run around like that. So Rob, I apologize. Yeah, I well, what if he problem. picked the name as he's a fan? Oh, like it's his internet name that uh, yeah. pins to his email? Like the guy whose name's James T. Kirk. He had his name changed to that. Why? Because he likes when Star Trek. Has done that. Yeah. No one in the history of Ever has changed his name to James T. Kirk, please. Yeah. <laughs> the history right, so of wait. Ever. So uh, uh, Rob, is, is he's, he's suggesting that everything is going to be in order with the cops. Go ahead, Dingus. Yeah. And number three for Rob <laughs> Lowe is Ryan and Justin cannot agree whether or not to arrest a shovel-wielding junkie following them. Uh, both being wrecked, wrecking balled by a giant, naked, and high Samoan man in the 2014 action comedy Let's Be Cops. <laughs> he just made me want to see Let's Be Cops. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you already see that? No, no, I wanted to. I, I, I saw the trailer, which was. Oh, I thought you had. I guess I'm, I, I, I guess I, I mistake it with Wrong Cops that you guys saw. This no, time. Wrong Cops very different. But no, I feel like the trailer for Let's Be Cops uh, was an enjoyable experience unto itself. Maybe the movie's that good. Rob's description of that scene makes me think, yeah, maybe I should see that. Uh, well, I thought you'd – and I was referencing this earlier because I thought you liked this movie because I've seen it too, and I really actually do like it. Oh. I think the two leads are really good. Um, uh, I think they work really well together. Uh, I, I actually really like this pick, but uh, I didn't choose it just because um, it feels incidental to the hardware store. Um but nevertheless, I, I liked this movie a lot more than I thought I would. And it has Damon Wayans Jr. in it, who I think is better than Damon Wayans. Ouch. What? Sorry. Wow. Never thought I'd hear that. He's great. He does he he's doing this weird, like vulnerable stuff. I mean he's he's pretty good. 
anyway, I really like Let's Be Cops, so I like this choice. Uh, number two for Rob Lowe is Tony goes from ecstatic to frustrated when he finds out he just received a raise from Mr. Fusco in the 1977 music drama Saturday Night Fever. Wow. <laughs> Good pull, Rob. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, okay. And uh, this is one. Uh, oh, that's good. This it is, is good. In yeah. Telly's wheelhouse. Um, Rob, number one. Melvin and Monica get trapped in Mister Dinkler's hardware store basement, and they try all manner of schemes to escape. Finally, blowing a hole. Ah, uh, that's a good one. In the 1963 action adventure comedy uh, Mad 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 World. Uh, that's a good one. Shit. That's such a great hardware store too. I've never oh, it's seen got that. Dynamite in it. Fuck. That, his wife's so hot. Fuck. I forget her name. It's so good. You never saw that, Tom? Mad, 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 mad world. When I was a, when I was a kid, probably. Hmm. A lot of it? shit gets trashed in it. It's really funny. Uh, you know what? You made me watch some YouTube video of a gas station falling over. Wasn't that? Yeah. Wasn't that? Yeah. Whatever. Uh huh. Yeah. You like that? Crazy stuff, boy. Ooh. Gas stations made out of fucking paper mache, brah. Uh, it's a different time. And those guys are twins. They both work there. You, you know, I had enough of that era watching some Smokey and Bandit in the Bandit movies recently. I just that that no. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit doesn't hold up, but I think Mad World does. Really? Not enough gets destroyed in Smokey and the Bandit. Okay, here's uh, what I here's what yeah. I've done is I've mentally lumped together Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run, to Mad 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 Mad, Mad World. So they're all of a piece to me, even though that may not be fair. That's like a 15, eighteen year difference, eh? Okay, what's B? Uh, Jackie Gleason's pretty funny in Smoking the Man. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go home and punch your mama in the mouth. Come on, that's good yeah. shit. Nope, doesn't work for me. That's that's stuff, that stuff's dated. It doesn't hold up, so how can it's a mad, 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 mad world hold up? Daddy, I got to pee. Okay. <laughs> I put Jimmy. mad, 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 mad world and Russians are coming. Russians are coming. Yeah. Just because of the repeats. Yeah, exactly. You just say it once in the title. You don't need so many words. Were you just trying to hog the whole marquee? Is that a marketing tactic? It is annoying when something's twice in the title. Like if Taps had been called Taps, Taps. Jaws, Jaws. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. (laughs) Very good, Dingus. (laughs) (laughs) It should have just been called Kiss, Bang. That's exactly right. That's the better title. Uh, Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill. Mm. Why do you have to tell a pussycat to kill twice? (laughs) I know what you did last summer. I seriously totally do. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Grant Stewart. Here is my three best scenes in hardware stores. They're the only three that I can think of. Number three, fish tank. What? Oh, mm. my God. That gummit. Shoot. I want to change mine. Oh, that was a hardware store? Yeah. They don't really do any hardware unique stuff to it. It's just that her brother or someone works there. So oh, it happens Michael Fassbender works there. Oh, right. it's not her brother. I just made it weirder yeah. than it really was. Yeah, but you just totally <laughs> – wow. You made that movie weirder than it was. Yeah. So uh, Grant says, I'm guessing this was the inspiration for the topic. It was not Grant. I didn't even think of this. Um, I'll talk about the inspiration later if we have time. Uh, Michael Bassfender, that's how he spells it, is working as a security guard at a hardware store when Katie and Jarvis and her boyfriend come to ask if they can have some money to buy strong, cheap cider. Bassfender teases Jarvis by holding the money above her head like a kid, but then inappropriately sticks the cash in her shirt. Um, Grant Stewart's number two is Shooter. 
Wahlberg and Michael Pena are on the run from the authorities, but they need some supplies so they can continue their libertarian power fantasy for the rest of the movie. <laughs> they buy some spray paint to camouflage some guns and some other shite. Hmm. Yeah, I should see that. I like the book. I kept wondering if in Terminator we actually get to go with um, uh, Michael Bean to, to the hardware store to get the pipe bomb stuff. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grant Stewart's number one is Zodiac. I haven't seen this since it was out in cinema, so I watched uh, it, and it really holds up. Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Graysmith, seems to accept that he probably won't see the Zodiac killer tried in court of law. But I don't think that was his objective. Continues to investigate the crimes on his own, to his own satisfaction. To this end, he tracks down Arthur Lee Allen and suddenly confronts, confronts him in a hardware store where Allen is now employed. Apparently, this happened in real life. Which hmm. uh, act, was it? John Carroll Lynch playing him? Yeah. Do we know? I think you must be right. Yeah. Okay. So goodbye from Grant. The guy who melted in volcano, huh? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, but he saved the guy he was saving. Yeah. 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 Arthur Jovan and Jelly says, uh, number three, The Equalizer. Swindle better in a hardware yeah. store is so ridiculous. <clears throat> See, uh, I said that yet last week, so I couldn't use it because I'm dumb. Uh, Arthur's number two is The Garden State, polarizing movie to be sure, but I do love the scene where Peter Sarsgaard takes advantage of what he calls a major loophole in the handy world uh, return policy. Yeah. Wait, why is Garden State polarizing? I don't know. Hmm. I thought Garden State, everybody, it's like kind of irresistible. Garden State's cute, right? Like, who, who doesn't like Garden State? What kind of monster doesn't like Garden State? Maybe, it's like, it's like not liking Natalie Portman being, like, cute and adorable. What's their problem, Dingus? Maybe because Zach Braff is bipolar. Is that true? I don't know. Wait, you can't say things like, Dingus, we're going to get sued for libel. No, I like, mean his character, you know, in the movie. Oh. He's, he's got, he's, his, his father is constantly drugging him. No, oh, like polarizing! Like I see, I see. Like uh, yeah. I was just playing on the word polarizing. I think Arthur's implying though, that there are people out there who hate Garden State, which I would be surprised if that's the case. It's it's, it's pretty inoffensive and fun and light, right? Yeah, I think. Oh well, I, I it, to be honest, it was my favorite. Her performance was my favorite performance of that year. I thought she was amazing in that movie. Um, I don't know why it would be polarizing necessarily, and I and it's one of my favorite soundtracks. I'm surprised you didn't know I was going to go with that since I've been walking around humming all of the Shin songs all week. I never know what you're singing. Kelly, you ever live with, with someone who runs around singing? I don't live with people. <laughs> <laughs> what about the cats? Sometimes I hear Dingus they, singing, and I'm like, why is he singing that song? And sometimes it's because something that I know was playing recently, but other times he's singing stuff, and I have no idea like what it is or why he would be singing that. Uh, so no, I didn't recognize. Songs. I don't even know I'm doing it because, and I was walking around like do 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 do. You know, it's okay because I talk to I was the like, dog. Ah. Like I talk out loud to the dog and the cat, so I figured it's the equivalent of, of me doing that is you just running around singing, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Right, and I don't know I'm doing it either. And then I, then when I'm doing the dishes, I realize Tom's going to hear me singing that, and he's going to know I'm going to choose Garden State, where I'm standing in line at the grocery store, and somebody in front of me goes, uh, and I'm like, oh rats, I'm doing that out loud, <laughs> or my son just says, will you cut it out? It's like when you stand up in movie theaters all the time and go, nice. <laughs> right, like when I always do that. You've done it like three or four times with me. At least. Yeah. Uh, Arthur's number one is Fish Tank. Me and Billy go to the hardware store where Connor works so Mia can ask him for money. Everybody they meet him. That. They meet him in the lumber section. I can totally see it in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that he teases Mia about being a little drunk and tells her he'll be staying with them for a few days. Because aren't they drinking cough syrup or something? 
Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. yeah. All right, now we have Dave McLeod or McLeod. Hey guys, just one submission for you this week in blue velvet. Whoa. Jeffrey mm. Beaumont, Kyle McLeod. <laughs> Returns home from college where his father suffers a stroke and Jeffrey takes over the family hardware store. Whoa. I do not remember this at all. So Kyle McLaughlin's name is Jeffrey Beaumont? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he later became a Mm -hmm. seaman. The store only appears in a couple of scenes, mostly to provide props or to advance the plot. And for a few weird exchanges with Double Ed, a pair of employees, one-sided, one-blind, both named Ed kind of platonic form of small town family business, something about McLaughlin looking extra young amongst all the hardware makes him seem more childlike and innocent, which I think is why Lynch chose a hardware store specifically. Its location is so mundane, it's almost anti-symbolic. I can think of any <laughs> hardware stores. I'm going to have to use that in a sentence sometime in the next week. Anti-symbolic. Yeah, that is, that is great, good. Dave. Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Dave's, we have Dave Perkins. Michelle says that Tony Stark puts together a makeshift suit at a hardware store, but we can't find a clip online, so we have to rely on you chaps to fill in the details. And doesn't he do that at in uh, in number three? In yeah, he has to, doesn't he? And that's oh, where he buys remember. the Dick Kid's. Uh, it's not the Dick Kid Kelly station. Yeah. But yeah, he does put together his own little studio, like like a uh, laboratory workshop thing. Oh, uh, yeah, but he does throw a bunch of stuff into a cart. They're totally right. Okay. I totally remember this now, yeah. He throws a bunch of stuff into a cart. Yeah. All right, good. All right, Dave and Michelle, you, you're going to – you're going to – the, the cops are letting you go. You're fine. Uh, next, we have Chris Webb, who uh, – I always think his name is Chris Weber. Chris Webb. Uh, I could think of only one, but it came to me immediately allowed me the chance to have my annual viewing of this movie. Cartoonist Robert Graysmith confronts Arthur Lee Allen in the hardware store where Allen works at the end of Zodiac. He needs to look him in the eyes mm. just one time. God, I wish I'd remembered that one. Uh, and finally, we have Chris Markinson. Hey, guys. I had a really d- difficult time with this topic, and I came very close to using Fifty Shades as one of my picks. Wow! Man, <laughs> see, see the length that you have driven people to. <laughs> I understand that. Get it? Chris, no, Chris is number three. Crank director's cut. What? Oh, Kelly Wand, how do we miss whatever this is? I can't believe we missed director's it, Kelly Director's cut. What? This scene is only in the director's cut, and you don't oh. get a great look at it, but Jason Statham limps into a hardware store and proceeds to hammer nails into his leg. Wow! What? Why'd they cut that? Yeah. Awesome. What the hell? Why does he do that? that? What's that help? To get his heart do? rate going. That'll get your heart yeah. open. Oh, he hammers nails into his leg to get his heart rate. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Chris Markinson's number two, the Equalizer. Oh, Jesus. A bunch of Russian mobsters lay siege to Denzel Washington in a hardware store. <laughs> Chris, come on! I do take issue with that characterization. They're they're laying siege to his buddies, and then Denzel Washington has to rescue them. Right. I yeah. do like the idea though of sieging Denzel Washington himself. Yeah. Yeah. I do like he was also in the siege, and, yeah. and then John Wick comes in. All right, there's even wound management that takes place in the store with a propane torch and a doorknob. Tom, so awesome. And Chris Markinson, number one. And I say, insect or man, death should always be painless. This is a quote. Just after Norman Bates gets rid of the car in Psycho, 
The movie switches to a scene in a hardware store, what? and an older woman reads the label on a pest control product and comments about how the label doesn't explain if death is painless or not. Wow, that's a like great Chris. that's a great pull. Damn. I mean, I don't remember that, but man, that's what that's the sort of thing that three by threes are made for. Wow, I don't. You might just be making that up, but none of us care. The old right. woman's reading it. All right, that's all. Do you guys have any uh, runners-up? So I, of course, wanted to do the bit at the end of uh, Army of Darkness, but it's not a hardware store. He works in housewares. Right. I'm so frustrated at that point. Yeah, it's famous. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's famous. Uh, Yeah, but no, it's housewares, not hardware. Mm -hmm. So I I watched through career opportunities to see if they ever go into the hardware section of the Target. Nope. Uh As far as I can tell. That's a shame. But Target still wouldn't be a hardware store, but I was going to try to get away with the hardware section of a store. So, Dingus, what made you pick this topic that you were going to mention? It's like convenience store versus liquor store, where you're, like, splitting these hairs. Okay, what? All right, so um, we went to see a movie called Green Room. Um, Some of us. Well, two of us. Uh, but in, before I went to see that at Tom's behest, I saw a movie called Blue Ruin. Um, and he goes into a store to get fish hooks, um, and something else to, to like do some surgery on himself. But I'm not sure if it's a hardware store or just a general store. Hardware so, stores sell fish hooks? No way. That's like a, that's a sporting goods store, wouldn't it be? Yeah, well, like, but I, I just seem to remember him doing that. That kind of thing, and I couldn't remember, and I didn't have time to watch Blue Ruin again this week. But it just seemed to me that there was this whole weird hardware store, hardware store thing going on in Blue Ruin, where he was going in unconventionally to get. It wasn't just like a drugstore where you're going to get like like in like in that walking away from explosions thing, um, where uh, where Sugar's going in to get a bunch of stuff to to take care of his wounds. It seems to me that he got all these like fish hooks and whatnot, which seems to me that might be in a hardware store, but it could have been a sporting goods store. But, um, but between that and then being reminded again of, uh, uh, they look like people, um, blue ruin was what really inspired me, but I couldn't remember if that actually was a hardware store. I would take issue if if I went into a hardware store and they sold fish hooks, I would take issue with that. I would be like, dudes, this belongs in a sporting goods store. You're out of your element. Stop it. But it's made of metal. I don't care. Are they going to sell fish, uh, fishing rods at a hardware store, Kelly Wand? And then from there, are they going to start selling baseball bats? Are they going to sell at a hardware store uh, jock straps? What about tennis shoes? In which case, what about running clothes, pants? In underwear. which case, why don't they sell – yeah, underwear. Why don't they sell men's suits? Rockets. It's a slippery slope, Kelly Wand. Once, yeah. you, once you get out of the hardware, there's no telling where it's going to stop. Pickaxe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys ready Space for next week's topic? Yeah, it's mine. Oh, it is? Maybe it's not. Wait, who did it before? Because, uh, yeah, we're thrown off of the schedule a little bit because of last week. I thought it was mine. Whose topic was it before this one? All right, so They Look Like People was Best Composer Musics. Shoot, it's Kelly's. Dead yeah, it is. Oh, and that, that's right, we're off because you, you get to do the um, – you got oh, to do the, the IMDb right, because Kelly got to do it last week, which you won, right. by the way, in absentia. 
Yeah, I noticed. I noticed you trying to give me the win. I never would have gotten it, by the way. But oh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take a free win. But yeah, there's no way I was going to get that one either. Uh, all right. So, uh, Kelly Wand, what is next week's three by three, and how can the listeners participate? Uh, okay. Well, we've had uh, we've done uh, this, we've done that, we've done the other, but we haven't done best cheerleader. If you would like to participate in next week's three best cheerleaders in movies, send your submissions to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com and I will read them incorrectly on the air and mangle them. And I've got my number one. Uh, speaking Ugh. of cheerleaders, we're going to see the movie Warcraft based Woo! on a video game that some of us have played. Uh, and Two, four, six, eight. And those of us who haven't played it are huge Duncan Jones fans. So there's all kinds of reasons for us to do a Warcraft podcast next next week. Uh, if you if you see it, uh, send in our, some comments as well to 3x3 at quarter to three. Just make sure in the subject header that you point out that there are comments about Warcraft so we don't wait until we do the 3x3 three three to read them. Uh, we'd love to know what you think of the movie. If there's any bits of it you'd like us to discuss, please let us know. Uh, and then participate in the 3x3. Three three. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined this week by Christian McClinsky. It's Christian Murawski. And we also had Kelly Wand. <laughs> la 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 la. Dingus, we should start a detective agency. Tom's kind of like that girl. We can't talk to you. We're dead. Uh. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Wait, didn't the gas mask save you? I, I love it. It's the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> the queen's heart was destroyed. You lose your mortality. Okay. I, okay, I got it all memorized. <laughs>